Hello, and welcome to Dad and Sons. Today we got Liam. Hello, and we got George. Hello. But today also we got we got a. <laughs> can you can, can you actually hear that through the mic? We yes, have a special guest. <laughs> Race Racevic Racevic, yeah, the lore you... master for Halo. How you doing? How you doing today? Uh, oh, hello. My name is Xperia. I'm really happy to be here as like yeah. a, the lore master of Halo, and I'm going oh to be God. just continuously. Okay, I can't can do stuff. Hello, <laughs> how's it going? Uh, I was oh. actually just talking the other day about how many fucking Halo books they are, and that I've only read one of them about 10 years ago when I was barely even capable of reading and I should probably rectify that in more recent years. I've heard that they're not bad, that they're like some pretty solid sci-fi thumpers. I don't know, what do you call like a good book that you read through fast that you thump down on the table when you're done? The short read. <laughs> yeah, what do you call your Doom 2 book, which I'm still, every time I go to a bookstore, mm. I just deliberately just check to see if there's a copy around, just in Surprisingly case. okay, I don't know, like... <laughs> That thing transcends genres. It was an action, comedy, feel-good, like, children's movie, but also not. It had an uplifting message at the end. It had thoughts on, like, theology and because of the Mormonism angle. Yeah, it. it's really bizarre to imagine that style of story with the new graphics and, like, audio design of the recent Doom games. I also like the idea. I also like the idea of what Racevic said about since he uh, has been able to read properly, which, like, makes him 12 years old, essentially, <laughs> since Halo... I only became 12 years old when I actually aged 25, so it's just, it's, it's like, I age at half the time. Um, I'm My growth in there, as but a yeah. human being uh, completely correlates with when I was able to start reading Halo books, and then I evolved. Yeah, all I, all I recall from Follow Reach was basically John had a pretty shitty up uh, childhood being uh, raised to pump full of drugs with a bunch of other Spartan kids, and that's about all I can recall, uh, <laughs> and not of which... really anything else. Halo Reach on PC. Uh, I've probably played less of it than everyone else here, but I think <laughs> we've all been playing a little bit of it over over the past few days. Well, it's only been out a day, right? Yeah, it's it's one of those games where like I hop into it thinking oh, I'll play this for a little bit with friends to go like with the nostalgia, but then because there's about five different groups I know that are also hop hopping on for the nostalgia train, I end up jumping between all those, and sure enough, I played it for about eight hours. Uh, which is funny because I also started Need for Speed Heat and there's a trial on there. Like, oh, I'm enjoying this game. I probably played it for a little while. Halo Reach comes out. I've already played it for double time in, one, in a single day compared to five. I've somehow managed to skip this one along the series, but I'm really looking forward to spending some time with the Halo game again. Last, uh, I believe it was last year. Or was it last year and a half ago? When was um, El Dorito getting tossed around the the shadiest rapid share servers of the internet back. <laughs> that was about yeah about a year and a half ago and i've i mean the th the theory for some time has been that this might have that might have been the catalyst to encourage them to put yep. it on pc because it's like, like clockwork i can just imagine the people at microsoft seeing el dorito be like on the top three on twitch and just being like guys why isn't that us that is on there why is that just a random fan game and and look at look at us now spending real money on real halo games that are coming out about a year and a half after that fiasco yeah 
Uh, no, the the El Dorito thing was very fascinating to see, just because I also I also know one of the people that was that's very heavily behind it. It was very interesting to see essentially multiple angles of that development, where it did start off as a very quiet thing that just continued. And what was even more interesting was hearing that those people that are in that sector have a lot of connections to people at three four three. And then it seemed like that E343 were not putting in any effort to like really shut this down. And you really got the sense that it wasn't their call to put in that request, but it was simply Microsoft. And the other thing, too, is a real piece of that story that keeps getting uh, misconstrued or mislabeled or misinformation or whatever, is that they got a cease and desist and they actually didn't. Like they didn't get a takedown order that was saying, hey, you better shut down this fucking game. We're going to sue you. It was mostly just like, hey, guys, uh, what we think is you're doing is really cool. It's a really great game unfortunately kind of falls into our legal thing so could you please maybe like you know like not continue development on that so so it was more of a shakedown than than an official statement it's yeah it's more like it was more basically essentially a request like no one got sued or anything no one was taken to court or anything like that it was not nearly as dramatic essentially like people made it sound like i remember the day that came out i was getting messages all over my feed of people saying Oh, you better get the footage of El Dorito while you can because it's going to go away. And it's not. You can still play it to this very day. It never got taken down or anything like that. It's just it was stopped being officially supported by the developers on request. I never used it, and I've never really mm -hmm. have much experience with Halo beyond fucking around with it on the Xbox back in the day a little bit. I'm not. Halo was always kind of like a guilty pleasure for me. It was like I played shitty jrpgs and nintendo games and like <laughs> halo is like you were, the, you were not the, the core game yeah yeah and then i got God. an xbox 360 when i was in university and then halo reach very specifically halo reach why why i'm enjoying today so much is halo reach was like my halo like to me it was mm -hmm. super weird like oh i didn't really God. have much affinity for one through three even though i'd actually played them all like oh. with friends but it was not something I really cared about, but Reach I got so into the multiplayer and the campaign and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, it was like my my Halo and to see it come out for PC and not only like start feeling nostalgia about it because of all the maps and stuff, but my favorite mode being SWAT and just playing SWAT continually with keyboard and mouse controls now. <laughs> that, yeah, It's a joyous experience. The best way, the first way, the quickest, easiest way you're able to tell you're playing Halo on PC is if you're playing with a controller and everyone else in the server just seems to be doing better than you by default. Yeah, the the the, the discussion of, oh, the controllers might have an advantage because of their strong aim assist to yeah, me is no. complete bullshit. And I say that as someone that spent, that like did half and half my eight-hour session on both because I did initially start with a gamepad originally because I remember, because that's how I played El Dorito because... I think Halo 3 in particular felt a little awkward on PC just because of how floaty the jumping is and stuff like that. But in the case yeah. of Reach, um, a lot of the controls just map really well. And once you got everything rebinded and set and you got your mouse sensitivity and stuff like that, it all feels really good. And yes. snipers uh, are definitely insane when you see someone that is <laughs> particularly good with their with centering their screen. Being able to pre-aim at the precise point of the screen where other players are behind scenery is is always going to win out over waiting for enemies to walk into your crosshair on a controller. There was something about like playing SWAT and just when you come up against a good team, 
I mean, it's only been like a day, but when you come against a, a group of people who know what they're doing, you, you have no chance. You just get fucking sniped from everywhere. But if you start getting into a groove and you start feeling like you're playing a PC shooter, you start like really getting into it and you kind of forget you're playing Halo a little bit sometimes. You're like, oh, it's kind of just an FPS on a PC, but it's enjoyable. I love the bouncy feel of these games on, on a controller, though. The bounce, the Halo bounce. Yeah. Is such a nice feeling. And the movement, to me, just always feels better on the pad in those games yeah. as well. Because the games were very clearly designed for it. They were very clearly meant to be mapped to that analog stick and relying on a lot of, on a lot of crouch jumps and stuff like that. Slayer has been a bit more difficult than SWAT. SWAT is a bit more traditionally like an FPS shooter. You shoot somebody in the head, they usually die. Whereas Slayer has been a little more awkward with keyboard and mouse because of the continual re reactionary, like moving back and forth, throwing grenades and like moving in for, you know, a pommel or, or a melee attack or something like that. There's a lot more like fluid movement you need in a game mode like Slayer where you're bringing people's shields down and you're trying to hide and then react to what's happening with them. And the keyboard and mouse, you can't quite get that. Like, moving back and forth, pressing W and S isn't exactly as easy as having the 360 degree of, you know, an analog stick to move and also swing the camera around. So it has been a little awkward playing Slayer. Not, like, bad, but good. It's why I think, though, that that the gamepad is still viable, though. Like, because yeah. in, in both cases, in both controller setups, I never really felt like I was at a disadvantage in either case. I felt like both setups were... Yeah. gaining me in one area and yeah. losing me in another which was a nice thing to have and it's really interesting to think about because i even just doing the call of duty 4 video i did recently i found out that even in interviews for that infinity ward were being asked about crossplay because microsoft pitched the idea to them because obviously this is when microsoft were trying really hard to pitch together windows oh, yeah Vista the halo and 2 Xbox uh... Live together with you know, Vista service. exclusive yeah that it was that same era and shadow run with the crossplay on that like they were really trying to push that hard and infinity ward when they heard the idea they just said absolutely not like they had no interest they were going like yeah there's no way that we're gonna have pc players on cod versus um uh, versus console players instead it's it's interesting to see because as times have gone on as games are very much more about just getting as many people onto your product as much as possible like 161,000 concurrent players today <laughs> that whole that whole sentiment has just gone completely out the window now the latest call of duty modern warfare ha doesn't care it does it doesn't even care if you're using a mouse and keyboard on console it's going to let that through um cuz they just they realize more and more that if someone really wants to play a game with a controller they likely don't really care if they're at an objective advantage or disadvantage. I mean, as long as they're having fun and not complaining about it as a dev you're not really going to care right yes exactly or um uh -huh. you can play console players as well but those console players are not pushovers. Mm. <laughs> those are really good I really like that about Gears of War, how, <laughs> how the game's mechanics and camera angles like kind of create a parity between both controller and mouse and keyboard players. You can you can keep up with controller with yeah. with mouse and keyboard players and and at least at the lower levels I was at in Gears. No, 
You can. Yeah, it goes back to that thing, right? Like, I think my only comparison, obviously I know jack shit really honestly about Halo or how it feels, but I can just feel the game in terms of its movement and also the shooting. SWAT is something where you need to be reactionary and be able to, like, <laughs> be like Counter-Strike almost. You need to be able to shoot somebody in the head really quickly. So a keyboard and mouse is always going to feel like that's more precise to me. Whereas Slayer, I don't know, I'm open to being wrong about this, but precision aiming is not exactly what wins you in that kind of game. It's more about how you're able to move around players and also... Predicting a grenade throw in the middle of your burst. Predicting a grenade throw, predicting where they're going to move and bursting and getting the shield down and moving in. And that's the the dynamic that I think yeah. I've always loved Halo yeah. about Halo you personally. Is that it has that interesting with... mixture where it is a... It's a movement-based game. You can react to getting shot at. Yeah. You can have a variety of abilities. And yet, unlike, say, previous um, arena shooters in the past, it's contrasted with a high aim assist on gamepads and relatively uh, yeah. large hitboxes uh, compared to stuff in the past. And you have the interesting parody as well of you have the general hitbox set up with the shields that is basically shoot them anywhere that then enters the second stage of when that's down, and then you have to be precise. Which is an incredibly smart way to do it. I mean, you've got the opportunity to yeah. unload and kill somebody, and it makes it quite easy. You can shoot from mm -hmm. quite far away across the map and know that you know 50% of your hits will hit. But then, as soon as that, that glow goes down, you're like, okay, aim for the head. <laughs> I need to one, get in. One thing I've yeah. always appreciated... With, with all the Halo games, and the moment I, I learned this, it all really snapped with me, is that health is balanced in a way so that you can't really kill an enemy with just your one gun and its one bullets alone. You usually have to mix things up with your grenades or with a secondary weapon at some point in the process. It's a risk-reward factor where if you... Because, I mean, I run into players all the time who, when I'm shooting at them, will just start tossing grenades instinctively. They're, they're trying to get... Much, I'm like, you know, I understand why, but it's not going to help you buddy you're already screwed by doing this you don't understand but it makes sense though because i've had situations where someone will get that first shot at me but because i get a grenade yeah. at the right angle or i time uh, a certain fall down on the map i can really turn the tide of that battle compared to what we're so used to which is just oh you see an enemy and you're gone one it gives you. you time to react. It also creates this like feeling of connection. Like unlike the Call of Duty games, I always know what kills me in a Halo. <laughs> I have like a good three seconds to watch the process happen. I have such a mixed feeling about Advanced Warfare in particular because I don't know about you guys, but I actually really, really enjoy the multiplayer of that game. Yeah, I, I remember having good times with that on PC though, and I realize looking back at that game i'm like i can understand why that movement got so derided in the community because i could see that being an absolute nightmare on a gamepad because unlike halo the movement is so fast and so rapid it's not like we're in halo if you want to go if you want to travel multiple stories you've got to plan your route you've got to do this specific crouch jump to lead your way up these platforms in advanced warfare it's just a double button press and that's it you're now two stories high <laughs> and on PC, that was a really interesting dynamic to deal with. Is that what happened? Because that, that game got pretty solid reviews. I remember there being a lot of enthusiasm in the multiplayer community during the first few weeks after launch, but it kind of fizzled. All I, I, I think uh, it might have been... I remember, because I, I followed a couple COD YouTubers around that time, or a little bit after, and all I remember was them essentially just poking fun at Advanced Warfare. And I know that enhanced movement in general very much got 
um, very derided in the Call of Duty community because on GamePad it did often result in people just spamming jetpacks, um, knowing that most players couldn't respond fast enough with an analog stick. You know, like to them being that high. It was essentially if you see an enemy above you, you can't look up high fast enough and you're done. Uh, if someone sets up those encounters. But on PC, I didn't have that problem, which is probably why I didn't really realize it on Advanced Warfare. In particular, uh, Uplink, I recall being so much fun in Advanced Warfare because of that movement system, which was the football mode. And picking, basically playing football with guns and having the ability to not only double jump and all that type of stuff, but also dash sideways. And I could actually taunt enemies where I would be going to their goal essentially straight on but then going up and then left and then right it would be like it was a really fun mixture to have in a game that is so traditionally just point and click come to think of it halo reach multiplayer has jetpacks and mm. you're probably not gonna be frustrated with being unable to aim at them because it's much slower and often a lot of jetpack players get punished for being out in the open because they've got no cover and they can't quickly escape. I, I remember having markers to aim at ahead of time <laughs> on the jetpack players. I could they... not choose anything other than sprint. It, it hurts me. <laughs> I just can't not have sprint. I, ugh. You and the rest of the community, man. Like that was the, the, the reason why Halo 4 gave sprint to everybody and completely changed the face of the way that game's pacing was is because... Yeah. Uh, 80% of the player base in Reach were using Sprint by default. I just can't not have it. <laughs> it just feels so slow otherwise, which is fine. Like, it's okay. But, mm -hmm. ugh, I don't know. I, I'll i try and put, like, armor on or something, and then I'll press control by accident. I'll be like, oh, no! No, what am I doing? <laughs> I, I just try to Sprint. So, are you guys as are you guys surprised? Because this game's not free. I mean, you can sign up for Xbox Game Pass and, and, and like, for we have a to play dollar. It. Which for I dollar tried, which I dollar. tried, but then the game didn't launch twice after their downloads are slower than Steam. So I just said, fuck it, and bought it on Steam. That is pretty incredible. Okay, uh, I, 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 got, I got a story for you. Whoa, 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 oh Judge, wait, 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 wait yeah, a second. Yeah, sure, all right. <laughs> are you guys surprised to, it had 161,000 concurrent players today like, no i'm i'm really price... not that surprised because i've been i'm not in i don't consider myself uh, in the halo community but i see it like and i know a lot of people who are neck deep in it and this has been a talking point for a really really long time a lot of people have just because you have to think you have to remember too halo reach in many ways is the black sheep of the family before halo 5 became the black sheep of the family like it's the game that is was considered controversial in the halo community mm -hmm. amongst fans because it it brought these armor abilities because it and changed its loadouts. art style loadouts yeah, and loadouts the hell as well out of people back it, in like 2010 yeah it really did and it's interesting to think that having a that so basically this is of all the old bungee halo games this one is the least old school in its design and yet it, even it can generate so much hype in the community just because it is the closest people have had to a PC Halo game that is from the original developers, and yeah. it's been treated properly. Like, it has uncapped frame rates. It has key uh, rebinds, except for V and J for some fucking reason, which I don't know. I'll get into that later. But, um, yeah, like, it has a port that you can just hop into regardless of whether you just want to play with a controller and play as old school like before, or yeah. if you want to play an, an enhanced 
PC experience. Second highest paid release of the year on Steam, though. That is insane. Mm-hmm. That is pretty insane. Only I'm really curious. With Destiny 2 free to play being slightly higher, but that's not surprising. That's free to play. But second with 160 concurrent players on the first day is insane. To think like all these people's thirst for Halo is is awesome. Yeah, because well, because I think the reason why is because if you really think about it. What other games have we had that are like Halo since Call of Duty took the reins as the mainstream shooter to beat? Like, we none, really haven't had really the, pretty much none. The sim- it's kind of strange because uh, you were still talking about it being the modern, the sort of modern brother of all of the Halo games, which is mm-hmm. true. And it has these different things. Go on, George, say your piece. What about Destiny? <laughs> Destiny to me is not like Halo in any way. Even in the PvP sector, like the PvP it sector, it definitely is not. There's very some much movement genesis, like the 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 way you move in Destiny is, feels somewhat similar. But you're a lot more, unless you're playing the Titan class, you're a lot more like sleeker, and you still feel Halo and Destiny and Doom weirdly play more like shmups from a first person perspective because the projectiles move slow. Yes, but in that's in the, most in the campaign sector. I think like even like I think in in campaign design, Destiny is you're right is is closer than it is in Halo. That was one of my big observations. Was I was playing Halo Reach last night, yeah. shooting some jackals with a like three round burst with a little two times snope scope rifle, mm-hmm. and I was thinking to myself, oh my god. I was playing Destiny a few weeks ago, and it felt <laughs> almost exactly like this. But the after for some as reason, well. Reach was funner. But it <laughs> well, just kind of—it's more so more like it has a completely different structure as well. Like it, I, I feel like this different. just tragically shows how the, the minutiae might be different, but in the grand scheme of things, how how far have these big industry giants really gone since 2010? Oh yeah, if no. In terms of games the gameplay that Destiny so has, the moment to moment you're going in the campaign, it has that same basic framework. And Destiny has the bounce. I feel like I like Destiny's game feel because it has that that bouncy, the bounce and the high aim assist. That what's really funny to me about what I, I mean. Now that you mention this, it's also got me thinking too about how both of those games also translate really well to PC. Like Destiny Two feels great on PC despite being wholly designed for game pads originally. And uh, Destiny's and a movement-based shooter as well. It's about mm. moving con- constantly around a map. Like, in big open areas, for sure, and you have a bit more, you know, mobility than you do compared to Halo because the maps are tighter and stuff. But there's something about Halo Reach playing it today after playing some games since it came out in 2010 or whatever, you know, in the modern generation we're in now, there was something a lot more simple, like almost cleaner about Halo Reach. The simplicity, oh not yeah, of you the don't maps have itself, but like tiny text all over the screen too. Like, but the, yeah, there wasn't an overabundance of information to the player all the time. I it's funny because I played SWAT, so there were for a long time there was no radar. There there was none of that. There was only the, the you know the ticker feed of who's died, whatever. And then as soon as I played Slayer, I, I noticed that there was a bit more information, but there was still wasn't, you know, like an overload of information towards the player. And 
because all the textures are, are you know flat they're not popping like you would in a modern game that would have like grit and dirt and surface texture everywhere and all that kind of stuff there's almost something angular and and weirdly yep. like lego about map design in halo that that's why you remember it so well because you can remember the corners almost the way the buildings fold over each other there's no like overhanging grass textures or vines on a wall or It'll broken just be pieces. A smear. Yeah, all, Halo has yeah, the, two very different things going for in its map design, and uh, that is one. It's a lot of times it's art direction. Uh, the art direction is very strong, and even the multiplayer maps to give those very, very strong sense of places and immediate calls and stuff like that. And then also, it's it uses a lot of asymmetric multiplayer design as well. That games in pursuit of being esports competitive have really drifted away from over the years, and becoming less and less interested in. Um, the Call of Duty series in particular, like Modern Warfare, has gotten a lot of heat for trying to move away from that. But I think Bricky actually made a really good point on that game. Where to summarize, he was basically saying that the problem isn't three lane maps; the problem is three funnel maps, and which is what Call of Duty moved into. Where it's not like, oh, there's three lanes you can rotate. It's here's three pathways you're locked into, and you have to decide ahead of time. Yeah, I remember the maps I was playing in Halo Reach being more like circles with spokes. Mm -hmm. So like spokes on a wheel sort of design. It does feel like a bridge between old Halo and new Halo, between 343 and Bungie stuff. It has that, that bounciness to it. Mm -hmm. And um, maps where a wall in a forest will just be a smear of a rock texture on a wall instead of something more cosmetically realistic. But it mm -hmm. also has a focus on scoped burst rifles with a little more projectile than than I'm what I'm used to. I was also happy to see big bat battle scenes in the campaign. Like a lot of situations that looked like I was playing a Call of Duty campaign where I was getting the vibe. I don't know if this is how the actual level design works, but I was getting the vibe that endless enemies would be spawning in unless I destroyed an anti-air gun or something. Mm. Um but the level I was going through was a very silent cartographer optional vehicle progression through a, through a beachhead that felt like classic halo it's <laughs> it's 2000 it feels very 2010 like, yeah which is it, the, which the, is, the I, line the where thing things... that occurred to me is like because you just because you mentioned uh doom and destiny in the case of what other games have like kind of scratched that halo itch and the, the, the thing that, feel yeah that schmuck feel and what i think is interesting is that one, I would argue that, at least in multiplayer design, that hasn't carried over nearly as much. Like, Campaign's probably the closest it has. And two, both those games are massive successes. Like, Destiny less so critically. Uh, uh, like, it kind of got an okay reception, but it's got a huge fan base now after slowly reworking the game steadily over time. And Doom was a real shock. Like, I, I still remember how much I was doubting that game upon release. Especially that E3 demo. Um with the dubstep and the great colors and the slow pacing Very and the long slow. animations. It was really, I was like, oh my God, this does not look appealing at all. <laughs> what do you think about the, the slow rollout of all of the games to PC though? Um, in this case, I think it that shouldn't have been the case. Although I can totally understand why. I, I think it this is a Microsoft move. Absolutely. 
Like, I think Microsoft is saying, like, hey, you guys have got reach. It's basically done. Put that out. It'll generate the hype cycle. And then from there, we can generate a marketing campaign or some excitement around each progressive title rather yeah. than just having one game come out with everything like that. And then the story dies down and then only the hardcore people in the community are going to keep that conversation going. It's it's easy to imagine us having <laughs> this sort of occasion on the podcast whenever they'll drop another one because i feel like i was this excited about halo 3 a year and a half ago when i was playing el dorito yeah like it, it got me talking and thinking about halo i, I was engaging with the brand uh, the advertising <laughs> worked mm -hmm. i was i'm i i don't think we're gonna get the because i think the last one they're gonna release is halo 4 and i think that one's gonna be a lot quieter but aside from that yeah i think each of those games is gonna generate at least somewhat of a hype cycle because if one if these releases keep being okay like if halo mm. 1 pc say releases and it's a really bad port that's gonna install a lot of doubt in and, and this releases. is the, the graphical upgrade so if you want to get real hardcore you can compare uh total conversion combat evolved mega mod for the original pc version with the anniversary edition and yeah we haven't had the anniversary editions before and also like the no. thing i the thing that also really shocked me was booting up the game and it having two exes one for the base game which is everything in tech and then one for mods oh and this reminds me um i i was going to say when hearing about your technical issues that i had those two until Oh, it's the stupidest freaking thing, and, and I, I, I hate to even say it, but the game would not launch for me outside of the Xbox game launcher, but mm. if I went to the icon inside of my file folders and clicked it there, yes. then it would launch. Same <laughs> thing. Same thing's happening for me. I can't, I can't boot the game at all from the Xbox uh, game app. Xbox is busted. Uh, Xbox, it just doesn't work. And then, like... But if you click the icon... And it's like, which version do you want to play? The anti-cheat one or the other one? It's funny to me, too, because like, it's the one game on the Xbox launcher, whatever you want to call it, uh, to me, that didn't work. Gears 5 ran totally fine. Uh, uh, Outer Worlds ran totally worked fine. totally fine. Yeah, everything worked totally fine. And then the one game that like I'm going to really like, <laughs> no, I'm going to sink some hours into, it doesn't work. And I end up just buying this. The, the download thing still baffled me. Like I was staring at the downloads going, holy fuck, it's jumping between 20 megabytes a second and like 500 KBs. What's going on here? And then I get it on Steam, downloads in three minutes. I'm going, how are Valve's server faster than Microsoft's own? like direct so, connection we had we had we were playing a couple of guys in the office at the end uh of work today we played for a couple of mm -hmm. hours basically and one of the guys who was playing is a japanese staff member and he obviously had the japanese version of it through steam yeah and we couldn't start a multiplayer game like a multiplayer lobby with him in it and the game oh, just no. kept saying this player is missing files or whatever. Like you're playing oh, with a player who's missing God. content, blah, blah. And we were like, what the fuck? And then we went through like multiple different things. Like he'd only bought Halo Reach instead of the Master Chief collection to start. Uh, and we were like, oh, so maybe that's the problem. It's always he, something, huh? And he was like, ah, oh, shit. So instead of like 15 bucks, he spent like 40 bucks to get the Master Chief collection. And then... He installed that, and then we tried it, and then the same error came up. And we were like, what? <laughs> and we, I'm like, what the hell? Like, all the English language ones would work, and it's fine. And I was like, hmm. So we went to the DLC like tab in Steam mm -hmm. to check if there was any outstanding DLC that he was missing that maybe 
you know, the Xbox Game Pass version just installed. And there was a file called Halo Reach Extended Language App. Oh, so the language packs. Which was that's... like a three gigabyte patch that allows <laughs> crossplay between languages. So it wasn't the Steam. Yeah, well, it was only the Steam version that didn't install it automatically. Because I was like, why is my game like 20 gig and yours is not? But once you install that, it works completely. So You know, there's there's like uh, another theory I have for El Dorito, you know, being like this sort of callous for Halo PC is that playing the game, it's a really good part. I don't mean to say like, oh, this game is like awful to play or anything like that. But there's a lot of signs that 343 are not native PC developers. Because there's just like a lot of really baffling things that are in, not the gameplay, but in its matchmaking, its control setup. Like for one, you can't rebind your push to talk or your text chat. They're hard binded to J and V. For some reason, those keys cannot be retouched. Everything else can. Those are totally fine. But those ones, those are on lockdown. And another thing I remember too, in the game, it will kick you from matchmaking if you're being idle for too long. Yes. And you can't start a lobby with an idle player. What yeah, and we're and, about and, that. And, no, well, because we're sitting there, go like guys, game, because like we're we're in matchmaking, we're looking for a game, and yet by doing that, the game thinks we're not playing because we're not moving because yeah. like we're alt tabbing or we're checking Reddit tabs or we're just like yeah, going exactly, and right? yeah. how long? Like, what's the threshold? What, it's what like do they two. Idle? It's like two, three minutes. Hey, because there's the progression system. You don't want players idling while their levels go up. I don't know how much it matters in Halo Reach, and I'm not familiar with Halo games mm-hmm. having progression systems, but I definitely saw meters tick up to tell me what a cool dude yeah, I was. Yeah, but when you're <laughs> waiting for a game to start, and you just want to... Yeah, we're waiting for a match, like and then we get minutes. kicked out because we're oh, waiting for the match the and not doing anything. So we have to move our yeah. mouse oh, like every yeah, once in a okay. while during matchmaking just to stop it from kicking us. <laughs> and it doesn't work either, because I still run into AFK players in-game, so it doesn't stop them getting in there somehow. It makes more sense to me that that it would be bad if it, it still counts the the menu time as well. Yeah, no, and that's that's what I don't understand. It's a very very questionable. Like these are things that to me, one, they're easily patchable, and two, they're easy things to work around. It's just again very. It makes you question like how did how does things like this even really get through to this system? And it's something I don't think we'll probably ever get any sort of details. I mean, on I will admit, for out. all the foibles so far, I am thorough. I'm not thoroughly impressed, but I'm rather impressed considering my last kind of a Halo experience was the original launch for the Master Chief Collection, which was a, a just Oof, a, a, a yeah. flaming garbage truck of issues that. How long did it take for that to get solved? Like nine months? Like uh, it? It, it wasn't even. In- and it wasn't even entirely fixed. I was there at ground zero, so it took about yeah. five. To, it took about four months for matchmaking to be at least somewhat like it took four months to Jesus for the game essentially Christ. to stop putting you in lobbies where instead of four v four, it's one v one v one v one v two in 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 team slayer matches that took like four months to solve and then about a couple more months to get playlists actually decently sorted out. They reset the rankings like multiple occasions, so there was no skill equalizer or anything like that it was just a complete dice roll of who you got in terms of how good they are at the game yeah it was a complete mess and the new map for halo 2 anniversary and packing odst was a good measure like it was a good thing that they did that to get people especially that those were completely free 
like no payments or anything. It was just I didn't everybody. even know about that. I just yeah. remember trying to play it and never being able to get it to work. And yeah, and that's the that's the, that's the thing it. is that's what people are going to remember, which is honestly why I'm even more surprised that they actually stuck with the Halo Master Chief Collection name when yes. they ported it to PC. Like I was surprised was they didn't call tainted. it like halo the complete edition or something like that because it it does because yeah and i the only thing i can imagine is that microsoft really believes that they can turn it around and to be fair there have been cases for games recently destiny in many ways being one of them siege being the go-to example of games that really turn around their reputation in a relatively short time span I mean, Master Chief Collection's been out, what, now? Six years? That's a long yeah. time. It, it, that's, in this case, that's a long time. So, one, they know that a lot of people are going to, they can forget. And, because we're at the, near the end of that console generation now. Remember Reach. Remember yeah. Reach and the way that it wasn't packed in with the rest of the games that were all busted on day of release. <laughs> <laughs> I think I played more games of Halo that worked in today, my only day of playing Halo Reach, yeah. than I did in my entire time playing the Master Chief Collection on Xbox One. And that's and that and they know that it, the low bar set from their last time made it so that even if Reach has problems today, they know it's going to be still received better because at least people can actually play it play and get game, into matches yeah. and to enjoy it. To be fair, it. having one hundred sixty-one thousand concurrent players and having no real server issues—that's pretty impressive as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not as smooth a release as the original games, but in some ways I think that's just because Bungie were somehow, they somehow all their games launched smoothly, and I don't really know how. Matt, did you get a chance to play it, or are you gonna play it? I did not. The download was way too slow. For what me. is, what, what, why am I so lucky? <laughs> it kept jumping around. That's what it did for me. <laughs> were you using the Xbox around. launcher? Yeah 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 that's what it did for me it was the download took about i mean i got really fast and it still took me like 30 40 minutes because it kept jumping all over the place i did not have any problems but i also didn't put it under microscope i kind of set it to download and then came back three hours later and it was done <laughs> meanwhile i was like hey it's at 10 a.m this is exactly the minute when the game launches why am i not playing reach right now by xbox come on well with that being said, we've been talking about Halo a lot for almost 40 minutes. I'm. <laughs> it I, I, I shouldn't be surprised at this point when we do pick a game we all play and manage to go down that hole. But like, where, where, where have you been, Matt? <laughs> Not Halo. <laughs> so where have you been? <laughs> well, I played multiple games. But the thing is, it's like. We haven't talked about like games in what like three weeks, I would say. When Low Spec Gamer came out, we didn't. Well, I don't that, remember that, what that, we that was about. two we weeks ago because we had the Thanksgiving break. We talked about Jedi, and I yeah. wanted to talk about Jedi because I actually yeah. finished well, Pokemon. Okay. We never talked well, Pokemon. Oh, oh, oh! I want to talk about Pokemon. Fuck Pokemon! Pokemon has always sucked. I don't understand why so many people are suddenly realizing it upon that latest game that came out. It's always been bad. I've always, whoa, I've whoa, always whoa, hated whoa, it since whoa, school. Whoa, it's all ever since whoa. the trading card game infested my entire fucking whoa. school it was so annoying whoa go, go we ahead got a Yu-Gi-Oh fan in what? here like. <laughs> it's like some sort of nerd fight is gonna break out in a second oh Jesus. god no i fucking no pokemon is so boring i i'm thank you people realizing that it's meh it's always wait, been wait who's realizing it's it's like eight out of t it's whatever 
so I have not been around. You guys already talked about Jedi. Probably for the best because I finished it and definitely did not enjoy it as much as it seemed. What is why? <laughs> now that Halo's love... out of the way, we're all just yeah, going to fight. Yeah, the entire podcast has we just got... done a 180. We got like the one... There are very few games out there that just everyone will agree on, and it's good to know Halo is one of them. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. that gives three, I'm sure that gives Microsoft and 343 some sense of security. But yeah, like, Pokemon's not one of them. Jedi Fallen Order apparently isn't one of them, despite that. I've been mostly hearing nothing but really good things. So, like, I understand, like, the game is kind of broken at times. It, it, it's it not is, broken at good times. In it. <laughs> it's broken all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I work in game dev, and I know how hard it is, but man. I played on PS4, so I, I really got a lot of those bugs. <laughs> I fell through the elevator. Yeah. That game needed six more months. Like, it needed it needed time. <laughs> it was, it was on, it, it's on the verge of being a really good game. Like, it could have been a good game. Yeah. It, unfortunately, there, it, it, there it were two things game. that just went against it that <laughs> i don't think it can recover from one is it is the buggiest triple a release since assassin's creed unity it Whoa. is awful wait, it is awful at times wait wait what? it's so buggy death stranding you can't even walk up a mountain without glitching and you're talking about no we're not Star we're Wars? not talking about like physical movement we're talking about like game breaking bugs it's <laughs> it's different like Spinning the camera what, what around in Jedi, making half of the world's occlusion drop out, or like falling through the map, and and just ridiculous bugs like that. Well, I guess I never, I never had game breaking. Bugs. You played on PC though, right? No. Uh, oh, PS4. I played on PS4 as well. This is the worst uh, for me. It's just so buggy. And I patched it, and it did yeah, get like it... two patches in. It did start to get a bit better, but lighting would just drop out all the time. It's so inconsistent. Frame rate in oh. some areas was just like, oh my god! It's interesting to hear this because rate. I remember yeah. like this is sounding like my experience with Tomb Raider Underworld, where it seemed a lot of people in that community seem to like that game. I play it and I'm running into bugs every five minutes, and I'm like, is yeah. this like, am I the only one? And I'm like, I guess I am because every other gameplay footage I see, it's fine. There's no issues happening on screen. There right. was just so many inconsistent issues, and it was. It, it really actively made me not want to play it. Even, and I finished it, which everybody knows on this podcast <laughs> for me is weird because I very rarely finish games. But I This game, oh, this game is so annoying and I hate playing it. I don't want to keep going. Oh, there, was, done. there was something about it that made me want to keep playing. I don't know whether it was the Star Wars thing about it. But the other thing that went against it for me that it just unfortunately couldn't do it was that it came out the same year as Sekiro and tried to emulate the combat of Sekiro, but was so poorly executed in comparison where hitboxes and collision are off all the time. The parry timing in this game is absolutely dog shit and doesn't work. <laughs> that I agree it's with. It's not good. <laughs> and you, you can't have something like this finely crafted masterpiece. This is not about difficulty. It's about like just the general combat working on any of the difficulties. It's nice in Jedi that you can change the difficulty to what you want it to be, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work half the time. You fight against like 
the purge knights or whatever they're called like the purge troopers who just like mash combos at you and you try and parry them like you would in Sekiro or something like that and it does not work it, well it's it, interesting to hear all this because like i have at least uh, at least two friends that are people that wanted to get into the souls games and couldn't because they got too irritated with the checkpoint spans between boss fights typically and they really hated wasting their time yeah doing like repeated battles they didn't honest like. to god like and jedi and could they be and, the bridging gap for that and it might be because now they both finished the game really loved it and now are curious to try other from software games or other games that are similar in that style. And that does not surprise me at all. There is definitely a thing, but I feel like for them, it's going to be a great experience because they're going to go to something that arguably is going to be a lot more challenging, but especially in Sekiro's case, the combat, like if you watch just slowed down gifts of that game, the co the collision detection and the hitboxes in that game are so finely tuned and so perfectly crafted that it's like a work of art. Whereas you see some of the Jedi clips floating around on Twitter where like a lightsaber swing will go six feet away from Cal and he'll get hit by it. There's just a lot of jank on top of not only the bugs, but the combat as well. Which to be fair though, like the probably the reason why Sekiro is like that at this point is because From Software did not at all start off that way, even with the games that really took off. I recall really hating my time with Dark Souls one and two because of hitboxes and because of glitchy yeah. movement and because of terrible collision detection and enemies stabbing me through walls. And I'm like, fuck this game. And it wasn't until Dark Souls three that I really fell in love with the series because I'm like finally there's it some there's better. a smoothness to this there's a flow to this game that i can really appreciate and there's no doubt about that but it doesn't detract from the fact that in the same year we have one game and then another game that very like yeah it just straight up not rips the combat because the force powers in this game can be quite cool i don't agree with the force stamina bar it you get like one false move out of it and then you have to wait for it to recharge like they're fun it, it, it's it's funny you make you, you make those uh those eh, mm. <laughs> i really want to hear what you have to say about pokemon now because <laughs> that, 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 that doesn't make any fucking sense all right let's, let's talk, talk okay, about it doesn't make any sense real that i was really irritated as since five years old that every single fucking kid in my school they go hey dude you got some of those pokemon trading cards i'm like no i fucking don't have those trading cards because they're worthless they're useless bags <laughs> of shit dude, i hate to say it but like if if you're tired of hearing about Pokemon, you're gonna like have to live on an island. <laughs> That's why do you think I've been driven to only being a reclusive person that just makes sits in my house and makes YouTube videos? It's because of Pokemon <laughs> and me trying to shut myself up in the world. <laughs> oh god. So yeah, okay, all right, okay. So I'm definitely probably the only person who's played Pokemon here. I I I feel like there's just this weird space we live in. We're talking about Halo Reach in a really positive way. It's a game that. <laughs> has come out almost 10 years ago and the PC release that just came out has no improvements That's how you know upon it, like right? It. But we live in this weird time now where through October, November, and now December, we were we had a AAA Star Wars game that copied a very originally niche Japanese combat game. Uh, we had a big mm -hmm. AAA Nintendo Pokemon game that got massively criticized for cutting content. And then we had... Hideo Kojima's new game that was about delivering Job pizzas stranding. across Iceland <laughs> and 
we live in a yes. weird space where everything's kind of strange because the one thing that Jedi and Pokemon taught me, and now Hillary Edge, was about just how unfun Death Stranding is. It is a repetitive <laughs> mission structure that it, I didn't really snap out of until I played other games that were more fun. And Jedi was fun. But then I played it, and obviously we've talked about it now, all the bugs and stuff. But then Pokemon... I, I can almost smell the wave of weed that came from your apartment when you had this <laughs> aha moment of connecting this Triforce together yeah. that, that, and that, that ended up in the realization that, oh, wait, Death Stranding sucks. It's not that it sucks. It, and it, it doesn't <laughs> suck. It really doesn't. Sometimes it really, like, is... Like, unlike anything else, but there are times where you're, you're doing the same thing for the 50 it, hours. It's just madness. It does what it wants. It has a focus on a niche, weird verb that isn't for everybody, mm. but it has very clever ideas about how to make the most if of If somebody that made verb. a game about being an and Uber delivery guy, nobody would play it. Mm-hmm. Death Stranding shows that it is it's, possible. Yeah, you can make an Uber game in disguise. Wrap it around in, if you wrap it up in famous movie stars and have really nice tech, then you can do it. And the one thing I'll, I'll give Death Stranding credit for... And make a fun control scheme and mechanics. One thing I'll give Death Stranding credit for, very good credit, is that is a technologically very sound game. Which brings me on to Pokemon and Jedi, which are two games made by massive studios that are both technologically pretty, pretty terrible. <laughs> We've already talked about Jedi. So Pokemon as well. I've kind of stopped playing it because of kind of what Racevic was saying, where in the beginning of this game, it's really promising it does feel like it's going to evolve beyond a certain point. For, mm. Forgetting about all the garbage about Pokemon being cut out, because one of the strong things about this edition of Pokemon that I think a lot of people would agree with is that the actual new generation of Pokemon are actually really well thought out and kind of interesting. A lot of them are based off like insects in the UK, and they have really strange designs, really kind of obscure, weird evolutions that are kind of different for pokemon they they look really interesting but you know it's pokemon right and then it actually doesn't go beyond that and it fools you into thinking it might because it has front-loaded all of this stuff about this huge new wild area where you can catch pokemon in this open world space and it's all based on weather mm. and time and all this kind of stuff and the first time you play it, if you're interested in Pokemon and have kind of always dreamed of that Pokemon MMO in your head, it kind of is like 50% of the way towards that. And there's a lot of Pokemon there and some of them are really high level and you're going to get fucking crushed. And then there are other ones you can catch and you can see them and it's, it's really fun. But then you see through the cracks like you would. I think there's an interesting balance in a lot of games that there seems to be this this almost i feel like you could almost make a, make a formula for controversy in a game that hints that makes people realize potential in a brand that isn't realized yes and this game is one good example of that yeah like i feel like that's exactly what ubisoft were doing a long time mainly watchdogs is the one that comes to my head where it's this game that hints at so many things that it doesn't do i think it's a i think it's a bit different in that case 
No, it's different in that case, but yeah, like there's there's just seems to be like a, a plenty of cases of mainly this generation, I think in particular, where just a lot of games that hint at things that people that I don't think would be criticized if they didn't. Yeah, I I think planning Destiny and Watch Dogs as a trilogy means that there was a kind of ambition cap on the first. Absolutely, there was be absolutely, yeah. there was. Yeah, and there's always a cap. There's always like there's only so much a game can do, especially in when it's being founded upon. But that's and the problem I think, with like AAA games, and it's why I don't want to criticize Jedi too much. Is it's a miracle they even get made in the first place for the most <laughs> part, and to have like a cohesive focus about something especially in a triple a game is really really difficult because it has to go through like a thousand different people who all want to put their creative touch on something and to keep that you know not only like the narrative focus but the 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 gameplay focus and how it's structured together is always going to be super tough in that regard and you know when you have absolute monolithic studios uh, like ubisoft making watchdogs it's never gonna be that, but it's weird to think with Pokemon where nobody expects it to go beyond where it's at. We've got to this point mm -hmm. now where we've seen small, like minuscule evolutions of Pokemon. The problem with Sword and Shield, for the most part, is that it front loads you with thinking that actually it's they've not advertised all of this. Like it throws you into this thing where you're like, oh my god, this like. They didn't really talk about this. This is this is huge. Look at mm -hmm. look at this massive space. Look at all this Pokemon going on. Like all of this stuff. Wow, this is crazy. I know about Why this. haven't we been going down this path? It's 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 it was amusing to me. This is gonna this is gonna sound completely different. And but it's it's a case of a case of realization. I I don't have the latest Call of Duty game. It's Activision, so I know that in six months they are gonna probably mess it up because that's what they've done every single time in the past. But when I played the beta for that latest game and seeing all the new animations that they did and how much different gunplay feels and how much more polished everything is, I'm like, it kind of like made everyone realize, oh my god, like what if they did this kind of jump in core gameplay like with Modern Warfare 2 instead of just the slight step that it's been taking for years, like yeah. over a decade at this point? Like what if they did this jump so much earlier? And it really makes you realize, yeah, like that I think the last generation, we've been lulled into thinking that, oh, these games are just going to go in this direction and they're not going to involve. And there's no more room because that's what it makes it seem like. And then a bunch of recent titles are going, no, there's still so many more things that we could keep doing. We just weren't because of cost, because of yeah. marketing, because of what <laughs> yeah whatever of some of them reasons. are successful some of them are not yeah like i've been pushing for so many years to just go with the old model which was make a bunch of mid-market titles and then the ones that really take off make triple a sequels to those because that's what we used to be that's what all these franchises were founded upon call of duty used to not be triple a <laughs> Well, that's why that's why I kind of think of it as this weird space we're in because it's great. We don't get annual sequels anymore like we did through the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 generation where it was every November or December there was a new Call of Duty, there was mm, a new Assassin's, a new Creed, Assassin's there was, Creed, there was yeah. a new blah, blah, blah. And we now live in this space where we have these big franchises which are taking risks for the most part or trying to evolve in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Pokemon, obviously, this jumps the Switch. If you try and play Pokemon Let's Go from last year compared to this game, they're completely different. But ultimately, it does stumble beyond 
the name. It can't go past what Pokemon is as an identity. And it is moving from town to town, fighting a gym leader, then catching Pokemon. And after the first six hours, that's what it falls into. And it doesn't go beyond that. And that's when it becomes depressing because you're like, yeah, no, Trash. fuck, you were so Trash. close. <laughs> Trash. Yeah. And, Guess what, Liam? I bought it. <laughs> there you go. And I shouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> you remember when I told you I was going to wait? Yeah, but you, yeah, that's exactly, and right? And I feel the same way because it lures you into this false sense. And there was, there are a couple of things I've enjoyed about it. One, I think, while technically it has some issues, it, it's not the prettiest game, but the art direction is really cool. It has like this, for me, especially as an English person, it is like seeped in like English countryside culture. And obviously James Turner, who was the art director for this game, is British. So a lot of that shines through and it's really sweet and charming and unique. And it has a fantastic art direction. The only other thing that has been right, interesting right. is they have these things called max raid battles, which you can play, thankfully, locally with three other people where you team up together to take down like a what is called like a Dynamax Pokemon, which is like a fucking huge, giant, powerful Pokemon that has fucking massive HP bar. It's basically like a raid boss in an MMO. And you have to work together. And actually, depending on the 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 level it is, they're like ranked by stars. So they have like one to five, five being super powerful. Like you really have to think about how you interact with the people you're doing it with to take down Pokemon, like, you know, status effects, paralysis, putting them to sleep. There's so many different things you have to think about if you're really doing, like, a difficult battle. Some of them are pretty easy because it's... I'm, that's the thing. I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm surprised because, like, I heard complete opposite viewpoints from, like, other critics. Well, if you play it online, it's unbearable. It's actually unbearable. It never works. You can never get in. And when you play with other people, they either drop out or it fills it with AI partners who don't know what they're doing. And it becomes just like the, a super missed opportunity. If you manage actually to thankfully like work in a space where there are people who have numerous abundance of switches and you can try it out together, which is still pretty niche it's actually pretty good fun. And you're like talking together to like try and overcome and catch this, you know, really high level, powerful Pokemon. And it feels rewarding, but that's like the extent of the fun I've had. All this, this discussion game, about, about the multiple franchises and evolving is just making me more and more realize, is there a way to fuck up Tetris like in gameplay design? Because it seems to me, like, between the <laughs> VR release recently and now 99, that you could just put Tetris in any form and it will seem to get by. Wasn't that... I am okay was, with this. Tetris the, Stranding. Wasn't the, wasn't the original Sega version of Tetris it? Tetris of Duty. Carrying the blocks. So, Matt, tell me. You didn't really get to the nitty-gritty. Like, the, the game is just soulless, almost. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm going to have to be hard on it because... It's $60. It is expensive. When everything else is $60. You can get Dragon Quest, all these other games that have open Wait, worlds. It's, hold, hold on. It's a full price game. It's a full price game. It's a full fucking <laughs> price game. And it's like you go into the open world and there's a draw distance and 
Pokemon are just popping in and like everything stops when you walk up a ladder and like Gyarados is just like swinging his head around while you're in, like it, it, it's it's the animations are garbage. It's so weird. It, it's so weird that this was, this came out and people are paying money for it and people are OK with it. it. It's not like this thing where people are just being mad that it oh they didn't add Pokemon in it because that's not the problem with it because it, it would have been better if they cut a more Pokemon and they had better animations, um you know like uh, uh water or or um whatever attack doesn't come out of their like body instead of whatever you know stuff that they, <laughs> whatever you know Blastoise they shoot it's supposed to shoot from the fucking pumps not his forehead. <laughs> Or, you know, like, it's weird. The double kick, like, he, they literally, the Pokemon literally just jumps. It literally just jumps. Like, this weird shit all throughout the game. A quick attack is probably, like, the most creative thing they did, which is the the character disappears. Yeah, that actually does look pretty cool sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it's just weird. This is like, uh, it's like they are doing the same animation that they did for uh, 2D for 3d and it just doesn't translate well I, and what i told you like what, what the last time we talked about is like i want my gamecube um pokemon right like back in the day what was it called stadium there was like three of them yeah yeah there's pokemon stadium on the n64 every single one of my friends had that if they had an n64 yes and then you play this game finally we get one right no, it's nothing like that. It's not. It <laughs> you compare it to any other game that you can buy for sixty dollars that maybe have an open world or whatever. They spent way more time on it, and I understand that they have a small team or whatever you want to tell me about it. But they still put out a shit product. It's really and the bad. other thing too is I think this is of all times to do this, like you know, release like a sort of modern Pokemon that isn't just like you know a handheld made in classic style at least ostensibly, is that we're in an era of a lot of reboots and actually a lot of quality ones. Like... I was just about to ask how it compares to Go. Um, or Let's Go, rather. Mm, I that was I the last time go. I played Pokemon, and it seemed fine, technologically executed with regards to polish, but I found it boring. And Yeah, because it's, it is a by the numbers. What... Like, for as much as I agree with Matt about a lot of this especially when it comes to battle animations because that's it's it's almost unforgivable now like to not yeah I, I, if you pretty... if you are going to cut down to a certain point and like going back to the whole ga- game freak thing and all the you know horrible stuff that went a- around that like if you are going to do certain things that lower the workload like making games is fucking hard like if you're going to lower the workload though you have to you know, produce the output of justifying that decision. And while the art direction of the game itself, I think is really good. Like if you compare the really boring generic towns of let's go Pikachu and Eevee, because they're a remake of yellow that all the towns look the same. They're all the same assets. It's a Pokemon game. Whereas very distinctly in sword and shield Every city has its own identity. It looks completely different. Some of them, like the the like fairy forest, like the illuminated forest, is, are really cool and really nice. 
they don't run very well and there's a lot of visual issues but at least there is like the expansion that Game Freak are thinking beyond what other Pokemon games were where it was just generic cities with the same Pokemon and Pokemon Center and all this thing there is a good sense of art direction but with that has come the cost of oh fuck we didn't plan for this technologically wise like the story it what story don't you remember back because i played a lot of pokemon when i was pokemon. growing up a lot and uh, yeah and uh it wasn't just going to each city and between that city fighting a, a shit ton of tra- uh, trainers and then going to the gym like that's literally what it is in the middle of the game that's all you do i, I would say until the end really there's no Savari Zone. There's no Unknown Ruins. There's no Power Plants. There's no Bug Catching Contest. There's none of that. None of that. It's just you're just going from one point to the other, fighting the gym leader, and, and doing some, like, I don't know, weird puzzle that they have in the gym, and that's it. Yeah. There, it, like, it is not it, good in that regard. Like, you just turn you up You wear city. the same corny-ass uniform. Your character looks like garbage unless you, like unless you change the outfit like he has my character has no ass why does my guy have no ass <laughs> like the uniform makes him look flat man it's just like come on some squats no, that Priorities. something yeah like why do you have why can i change my uniform why do i have to wear a stupid uniform when i'm riding my bike like it, it's just it's just little stuff like that it's like if i could customize my character why uh, Oh my god! <laughs> this is so weird. To oh listen my god! To as someone who does not know what it's you're so talking interesting about. that for me yeah, yeah. as somebody that um that's twofold and interesting. It's one, it's interesting in someone that does not give one iota of a fuck about Pokemon, and two, it's interesting as somebody that that is anything. I'm typically like I'm so used to hearing people like us <laughs> like go into like really like expressive deep dives where oh this gameplay issue is happening here because this animation is 0.5 seconds too long here which leads to this issue here blah blah and it's so interesting to hear my character's ass isn't big enough what the fuck why do i have to ride this stupid thing with riding a bike if they just fix these things the game would be better like does your character wear some dumb bike shorts or something yeah like i i played red and blue as a kid I played a little bit of the GBA ones as a kid. I do remember there being more of a story in the GBA ones, but the red and blue, the narrative in red and blue basically is you want to be the best and catch them all. And that's all your kid has some weird fixation on collecting all these things. Uh-huh. And you in the real world <laughs> echo that sentiment. There is that, but like black and white, for example, which probably is the most story heavy out of them all. I remember. Oh yeah. See, I have no, that's years. But that past was about like, that was about like environmentalism and like whether making Pokemon fight each other was cruel and it asked questions of the player, like obviously in a Pokemon way. But it did act, yeah. it did oh, do God. that. It did do that and expanded upon it. And I remember some of the missions you had to do, <laughs> you'd arrive in a town and it would take you like three hours of doing stuff before you could go to the gym. Whereas Do you feel like in Sword and Shield, you just arrive in a town? And then they're like, yep, it's over there. Go on. Off you go. 
None of these Pokemon the would be, they, none of these Pokemon have... would be dying if you just stopped. So so they got rid of the like guilt trip scripted events where you use Pokemon White Phosphorus <laughs> on the on the Poke Battle. Oh man. It, the, it makes the, you yeah, you, you don't get one. the computer simulation telling you that hey, you're actually not real. You were actually a child soldier the whole time. You're not just capturing Pokemon, you're in a simulation. <laughs> Dude, I I've played mods better than this. <laughs> Yeah, you we, on the podcast. You were talking about Pokemon Sticky. Pokemon I, everyone at my slimy, workplace was, was playing that online Pokemon game on PC. That was basically like a yeah. big ripoff, but like it was the only online Pokemon you could play. So everyone at work was just doing that. Yeah, Pokemon Sparkles, po- po- Pokemon Speckles, uh, Pokemon <laughs> Freckles. I played two of them. Uh, it, it's like the most popular ones. I think it was like glazed and some other oh one. god that's glazed. bad <laughs> halo uh, glazed halo well, glazed oh, speaking yeah. of of suddenly shifting things to a real awkward place um <laughs> before we go to the break before we go to our our our, our weekly to get glazed, our weekly bathroom break. Get... Let's talk about the sausage fest. <laughs> yes, this. <laughs> oh, the sausage... it, why is it called the sausage yeah, fest? I was thinking the same thing, Matt. I was thinking the same thing. Why did George call it this? You just put that in Discord, and I'm like, yeah. what are you? What? Because next week we are inviting our listeners to come see how the sausage is made in our factory. <laughs> wow. The kilt is coming off for the first ever live dad and son sausage festival mm. on twitch.tv slash super bunny hop at 7.30 p.m. Pacific, 10.30 Eastern on next Wednesday, December 11th. We will be attempting to live stream we an episode. Be... What could go Nothing. wrong? It will like, be everything. <laughs> Emphasis on the attempting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna like for the next week. I'm gonna try try my darndest to to make graphical overlays and conduct some some tests and and set up call lines where where listeners can call in. But we all know yeah. something's gonna. It's go our hundredth I- episode bonanza, and it's inevitably gonna <laughs> fail miserably. But you're all invited to watch it happen live. It's why we stick around. It's why we do it. Well, why you guys do it. I don't need to stick around for any of this. <laughs> you got Halo to play. Yeah, I've got I've got better things to do. <laughs> if you do, if you have better things to do, now is the time because this is the break. The Pokemon time is 3 p.m. Calling all Pokemon trainers. Pikachu. Pokemon number 25. Ice Electric. Squirtle. Charmander. Team Rocket. We're here to get you a Pokemon. Hello, and uh, welcome, welcome back. <laughs> okay, is it so, sad that this is more professional than what I'm used to? For, for, for context, we just had a very, very long break talking about video games throughout the break, and now it just seems kind of underwhelming, right? To talk about news. News yeah. about video games. <laughs> I, Liam. Well, there's there's some stuff like Liam. Um um, I bet you're excited about RE3 remakes. Uh, leaked uh, yeah. box art, PSN store. Jill looks sweaty and wet. Why does Nemesis like? I get it, you know, it's a new model, but why is like most of his face covered in skin now? 
What happened to his eyes? I know his uh, face he, is fucked up anyway. His eyes have always been like tiny little beads. I don't yeah, know. But you I, could this see both Nemesis, of them. Nemesis looks fine to me. It's Jill that is like a little. I have to squint and be like, wait, who's that again? The no, the uh, who's the, who, oh, what's his name? What's the guy's name? He looks like like he's from a Google rock Google prog Yakuza band. Seven. Google Yakuza Seven. He and the protagonist from Yakuza Seven look exactly the same to me. Mm. I, I I feel you. Thing is, whoever that guy is has just faded with memory. Jill, on the other hand, <laughs> RE three tube top Jill is an iconic representative image of 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 conventionally attractive female characters in video games. You know, back back in the late nineties, turn of the millennium, everyone on the on the gaming forums, like I don't know, a third of them, had tube top Jill avatars and, and signatures. So I'm I'm surprised to see that for the earlier remakes, they did cut it closer to the original designs. But Jill. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a tube top? It looks like a tank top. I can't tell. It's blue. Yeah. It looks. It looks fine. Still blue. Brad. It's, Brad. Brad's his name. That's his name. That the guy in the very first FMV who. No, Brad. Brad, Vic, Brad Vickers. It's Brad, isn't it? Also, Nemesis. Nemesis is super long teeth. Kind of strange. That, I'm. I'm okay with the teeth. They do look strange, but they also look look creepy and. <laughs> what I'm curious about in this regard is because I'm not I'm not super experienced with the Resident Evil series prior to four because I didn't grow up with the games because ah bloody and that's ah, Ray, it's too scary. But from my understanding, <clears throat> RE2 seemed like a pretty ballsy game to remake to me because it seemed to be very of all of, of the of the three games that come out of the places when that seems to be the one that's really held up. Like in terms of like, oh, this is like the great game of this era. And three seems like, oh yeah, and that one. And like I hear, like, oh yeah, it's a good game, but it's one that not nearly as many people talk about. And considering the success that the RE2 remake had, oh, I don't know, like, I don't know. I think if you go back in time, like apart from the opening of RE2 and the mm -hmm. fact that you had two characters, RE3 Nemesis, Nemesis chasing you throughout the whole. It's a pretty short game, so what I'm most intrigued about is how they elongate it into being like a fully length game, but. Man, if you talk to uh, some Resident Evil fans, like Nemesis stands out because of just him following you around. Oh more yeah, so that, was than Mr. that seems to be the thing that I hear it really mixed on. Like, uh, like half the people I hear really like that about the game, and then others just found that annoying and repetitive. Or at least maybe that's some older reviews at the time. Stars. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, because like I don't know the uh, yeah. Because like I said, I'm I'm speaking from someone who's only kind of blurred view this from the sidelines yeah no, and I, everyone... it basically in short it seems to me like re3 is more as a game that has more room for expansion in a remake to iterate yeah. on its ideas i would agree with that. which is yeah. in, which is interesting because re2 seemed like the game they're like oh you better be careful with what you touch and yet they retouched a lot of things and it went over very well a lot of people really love that remake. With 3, I think they can probably get away with doing whatever the hell they want because the sense mm -hmm. of place in RE3, I mean, you're in the city, but <laughs> it's expanded a lot more than 2. 2 two's so good because it takes place in a location that you just learn. You you remember it, and it's such a great sense of place, and it's it's superb example of level design. Whereas 3, Nemesis... And the, a bit more of the action was what stood out about that game. It was, you know, well, you had a misdirection too. Is as well as the sense that 
I'm getting the sense that this is announced. Uh, this was or wasn't this leaked? It was. It wasn't, leaked. I don't think it was. Yeah. it was leaked. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think it was a Game Awards announcement. But all. But already, but so let's say let's say it gets a. But already, like just looking from this, like a box that we have or whatever, immediately it looks similar to the Resident Evil Two remake. The font, the character design, the visual, like everything about it is reminiscent of that game. So what I'm curious is, is going to happen is is if if this game ends up being extremely similar to RE2 using its game plan format or whatever, which I wouldn't blame them because it's a really good formula, will it actually end up getting the same kind of response that RE3 got originally just by it's not going to be as remarkable? Because people will be going into this game and go, oh yeah, it's, it might, it's RE2 with a different formula, which is what RE3 in the past was really viewed as. Yeah, I don't, I don't know... I imagine it'll be less popular than RE2, but it'll still satisfy the same yeah. fans. I think as long as they get Nemesis right, they will be. It'll be. And, it'll be fine. And they got Mr. X so good that they can just they, they can just did, work with but that. But if character. you remember the original and you remember, you know, playing two now, Nemesis had a lot more to him than Mr. X did. I mean, that guy just follows you around and then swings a punch at you, whereas. Nemesis is like all sorts of fucking trouble. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if you remember, but uh, when I was playing through RE2 Make, I was surprised that I completely forgot about Mr. X in the original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's the thing. I, I never I never heard of, because, because I didn't play RE2, I never heard of Mr. X. And then suddenly when the RE2 remake comes out, my entire Twitter feed is nothing but gifts of people yeah. getting really scared by him. And I'm like, yeah. wait, what, who is that? And I'm like, Oh, he, he it, was you can easily game. forget about him. If, if the yeah. remake doesn't exist when, when you're playing it, <laughs> I mean, only nemesis is a character in Marvel versus Capcom. So I'm just pointing out that nemesis, <laughs> nemesis is a big guy. He's, he's, he's coming back. He's going to, oh. he's going to fucking ruin childhood for a whole new generation of people. I think if, if we were to predict anything, I think, George is probably right, where it's going to satisfy the people that really like this return to what is the yes. belief that Resident Evil games should be, but it's yes. not probably not going to make as much of a splash like beyond that circle because it's just going to look similar and play I similar. I think people are just be, surprised it's not be about as much of how good RE2 was as a game. Like, it and just like, came and also, out and like, oh it's, yeah. It's not, even, it's not even just how good the gameplay is. It's also just how amazing it looks, how great the presentation is, yeah. how like how immersive it is. Like, there's so many other qualities. Using the RE engine, you know, continuing on with that, I imagine yeah. you, you're probably going to get something similar. But, you know, it's going to be bigger in scope. It's going to be the city. I don't know. Yeah. I'm excited, they're, though. They're kind of niche releases. Like, I RE2 Remake sold less than RE7. Mm -hmm. uh four million that copies which isn't me. bad but it's i i highly doubt that the executives at hand are like super duper eager to green light these things no questions asked they're they're i i have heard the terminology hearts and minds projects sometimes about video games that aren't necessarily built to to gain all of their investment back but rather for brand recognition amongst hardcore fans and this is this i've been told by multiple developers that at this point ea will only publish your game in of if they believe it falls into one of two categories either they believe it can make it can become a billion dollar franchise or it can improve their pr yeah the pr would be the category this one folds like in. it can give them credibility essentially and that's it like i've had I, there's a yeah i talked to a developer who he got he got turned down by ea because his game wasn't expensive enough 
What? Like it was, it was like a little bit more than an indie game, but it wasn't quite enough to be like you know fully budgeted title. So that's why they 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 didn't want to publish it. Because EA seems to be just completely disinterested in the mid market, despite that being what all their games were founded upon. Dead Space wasn't exactly hugely AAA. Like it had definitely good resources and stuff like that, but it wasn't going. It was never marketed or set up by Visceral Games to be this end-all be-all brand for EA. It's just like, oh yeah, just Resident Evil Space. We're just making a Resident Evil Space game. Oh, holy shit, people really dig this and it kind of took off. Okay, let's make a sequel. Speaking of making weird things that people really dig that don't become sequels or succeed in the marketplace, <laughs> uh, the Steam controller has been discontinued this week. Uh, when I'm sure you guys noticed when you're doing your Black Friday shopping, that uh, the yep. Steam Autumn sale was rolling out with this five dollar fire sale of the things yeah. they are yeah, I, liquidating. Yeah, that was that was rather on the nose. How over, like, however, it was is that that Valve just had a warehouse full of these things and needs to get rid of them. <laughs> Rest in peace, Owl Face. They haven't cited any reasons why. There's no official statement behind Valve about why these things apparently aren't selling enough to keep. Um, a stock going I, I i am real confused about why they don't get another company to outsource manufacturing to but in either case it's being discontinued Nobody's we have buying no them? they sold they oversold it when they put on five dollars the thing For has $5. a really video game <laughs> controllers cost fifty dollars usually it's, it had <laughs> a very dedicated fan it's gonna base. be that th it's gonna be that thing that is handed to you when you're the fourth player at a party yeah yes. like oh yeah here here's that shit yeah i got that for five somehow you're gonna end up playing smash brothers with that thing and then you're gonna be like what the <laughs> fuck how did this happen so the steam uh, Okay, I know what you guys mean, right? But the Steam Controller also feels like a product that should be on the back pages of Amazon somewhere. Like, I can buy cheap yeah. HDMI switchers for th that are of a way more specialized purpose than this from from a, a outsourcer in China. I Everybody who plays with a pad on Steam uses a USB windows xbox 360 or xbox one controller you're fighting a market where you're never gonna win and your controller is ergonomically more complex harder to construct because it doesn't use more traditional molds and is like more expensive probably to put together because it uses sensory technology for the pads so why would you if you're not selling why would you continue to do so you're not going to beat your competition i will say like as someone that i i've actually bought one and the link very recently because i saw one on ebay pop up for relatively cheap considering their typical price here in canada because they i think again a lot of them didn't ship over here and the immediate thing that comes to my mind when using this thing that is immediately to my head like it puts alarm bells are the awful triggers and that the uh, sensor here feels far too much like a trackpad when you're learning how to use it at first. I understand that once you get the hang of it, once you learn how the system fully works, and especially if you're like some people and you start uh, incorporating the gyro aiming and getting used to that, that it can become a very unique and precise tool that is probably superior to a controller experience. But the thing that's kind of at a crossroads is that a controller, the controls are already way too complicated for most novice players. 
already. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm like I'm watching Nolan North play through Last of Us and him having to look down at his control every time the game says press whatever. And he's like, oh, which one? OK, that one. Like that's the common consumer in use. So to have a controller that is complex for a hardcore market is a kind of weird already in an, in an inherent mismatch kind of from the start. Well, what about the, the specialty market where like joysticks and throttles? Yeah, sets? that's the thing is, is that some, I think you could get a company to take this blueprint that Valve started with and market it as a specialty controller. Right. Because I can tell you that after I use this thing, I'm like, oh my God, I could actually envision myself playing Civ on the couch now. I never did before. Never in a million years would I do that. But with this thing, I could do it. I'm being reluctant and wistful about the death of this thing, but even I am not the greatest fan of it. I found that it really only elegantly works for Civ, but the thing mm. is, is that there is a learning curve. Apparently, yeah. if you get real good at the Steam controller, it's mm. like the best thing ever. And... Mm. Maybe, I don't know how expensive a gyroscope is to throw in, but you can go on Amazon and search for all sorts of weird specialized stuff. And it seems like, like, yeah, there are throttles and joysticks that are for an even smaller market than this. I don't know why they can't keep it going through As somebody company. that recently invested in a direct drive wheel Kickstarter, like online, <laughs> I am very familiar with these specialty markets. But is, is that a tool that does something specific? And if people can sell... $830 pedals to people. There must be some application to sell something like a Steam controller. But that does something specific, right? Whereas the Steam controller is a controller you use with video mm -hmm. games where there are already options mm -hmm. out there that are far more popular. Well, mm -hmm. it makes sense to me for like the gamer that has everything a sort of purchase for that. Like it's it is a multi-purpose video. Yeah. <laughs> it's a multi-purpose video game controller that like smushes together other stuff in my case i did end up really appreciating it but not as a game controller but as a way to use the steam link without having to break out a mouse and keyboard <laughs> yeah, and it just right. i feel like it speaks to valve's strategy that both of these two first tip of the spear hardware designs that they shipped out that i ended up becoming a fan of were for not their intended purpose the steam link became a great way to watch movies and tv shows on a different tv than your gaming pc and the Steam controller became a nice way to sit on the couch and browse the internet. Do you remember and... Steam machines? Yes. No. <laughs> I do. I'm, we're probably the only ones that do because mm. that was not... I will say, <laughs> Valve a lot of times gets mocked for their R&D, the Steam machines, the Link, the controller, <laughs> etc. Honestly, though, I'm kind of glad that they're exploring it because what other big name publisher is going to put into that R&D? Like many other companies, because they're publicly traded, they can't really afford to be an R&D based company. That's the way I view Valve. I do view Valve as a research and development you know, an entity that just happens to make games occasionally that are really fucking good. And a lot of their games innately come from they're exploring some sort of mean, be it online gameplay, be it... Uh, physics-based gameplay, whatever. It is that intriguing is to see, though, that. considering how popular Steam is and how much money Valve have, that every single one of their products has come and gone. They could make 40 Steam Machine-type failures and still be okay. 
like over like multiple years like they're in that position it's crazy people like you will be by the index (laughs) 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 i am to be fair i am in a very i understand that like if i was in the position that i was say three four years ago i was just a common consumer and living paycheck to paycheck there's absolutely no way i would do this i'm only getting an index in the case that i'm in a very particular place of making videos on games and stuff like that and being in that position i do actually start to understand specialty markets because there's just i I can tell you i've only used the index for like an hour already i'm like yeah i've I've got my oculus packed up because it is so much (laughs) clearer the field of view is so much better and yeah there's just and being at that having that experience innately on hand is just makes you so curious for the future personally something i find really fun about VR space is that it is like games in the early 2000s and 90s where a lot of the evolution is going to be problem solving not budget or resource based but just whoever comes up with the solution first let's 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 not glorify the system too much the reason why specialty markets work is because a hundred dollars is less money to a rich person than a poor person absolutely the only fucking reason that that i i that we can afford to throw around money on this because we're doing okay right now. Yeah, we're, we're yeah we're doing okay. We can afford the expenses. I can tell you that the next few months, I'm gonna try really hard to not spend money because like I already got monitors and stuff like that, and then my desk uh, broke on me because it's like purpose built and specialized, and like it basically the index essentially came out at the worst time for me, and yet I was still stupid enough to buy one anyway. The first traffic ticket I ever got in my life was after the Patreon. And I just like couldn't believe that I could just it didn't even feel like a consequence. Yeah. Like I almost wanted to go get caught speeding again immediately afterwards. Because <laughs> you know how rich people. It's feel. fucking disgusting, actually. That's like we know rich people. We're not we're not even rich. We're just doing okay. Matt, should we, should we just leave? <laughs> yeah, you should just leave. You're, you're like well, those people in California that have these like very expensive cars that like park where they shouldn't at all yeah because they can get away with it they, they can, can actually get away afford it, it and that's actually how it works mm-hmm. car towed get a fucking uber <laughs> i remember on top gear years ago about them talking about a speeding ticket in america of a guy in a bugatti veyron who did who was caught at doing 230 Jesus. miles an hour and his speeding ticket was 500 dollars. okay that's wow. a lot now, more cons- than mine no, but considering, hold on, this is a guy with a wow. with a million dollar vehicle. Do you really mm. think that five hundred dollars is of any consequence no, to him? Dude, his oil change is like is not you know the cost of the kid he might have slammed into. <laughs> but God, yeah, man, mine was a small town in Georgia. The ticket was only eighty dollars, and that's a video game. That yeah. is a video. You can either have a video game or have a fun evening speeding until you get caught. <laughs> 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 so like a video you, you enjoyed breaking depending the on law? the video game that is that could be very much preferable i didn't but this opened my eyes and made me realize how someone could actually get away with enjoying breaking how someone could enjoy breaking the law and actually make a habit out of getting away with it set up their insurance and their license and spread out the tickets long enough to take a joyride during a mathematically picked day God, life is so unfair isn't it interesting that the steam controller led us to discovering more about george's innate tendencies <laughs> 
I don't even have a car because I've never felt safe purchasing it's one. It's because it got taken away from you after you fucking was caught speeding ten times, flaunting that Patreon money. The one holiday when I decide to rent a car, I I get a speeding ticket, so that's not making me any more eager to take the plunge of a $20,000 down payment with $400 monthlies. Fuck that. I'd rather buy VR stuff. God, I remember getting my first ever speeding ticket in J- here in Japan in my second year here during a time when I just had no money and it cost about $90, I think. And I was like, this is the end oh, of the world. Oh, and that that probably encouraged you not to speed. end of the world. Yeah, what a <laughs> consequence to your dangerous actions. Oh my God. Shut up, you. You can't talk. <laughs> I I can't, but I'd like to. Just I would have preferred the roads of Georgia on my highway. No, I don't. I don't like this. Ah! <laughs> Is it weird? Essentially, that like it, going going to that. Yeah, but going to the specialty markets again. Like the index for me, it's like I'm in a position where I'm lucky enough to to be able to afford one and buy one. But then at the same time, I'm not exactly rich enough to then be able to just throw my Oculus away, like into the trash. Like, no, I want to sell that thing to get some cash back. I'm because... holding on to my PSVR for future backwards compatibility with the PS5. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we're in that position, like we can afford, you know, to to have like to have some spending sprees. But to the point where like, OK, now we got to do something to make that back a little bit because this is not good. I love that I have lived a life where Labo VR is the extent of my ability. <laughs> to... <laughs> Uh, you guys want to we we don't got time for the rest of the news we got to do listener questions right games is in trouble but not as much as it seems because 10 million dollars to rich people is less than it is to the rest of us (gasps) 1,000 female employees who worked at riot games from the last five years is getting a payout from a 10 million dollar pot divide that between 1,000 employees you get ten thousand (gasps) dollars disperse those payments among all the lawyers and and paper pushers who are going to want a cut of it along the way the 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 class action lawsuits rarely pay out as much as they sound like um it's a couple months rent essentially it sounds like a big win for the unions but the it's like when when facebook got fined seven million dollars i believe that's the number for um distributing fake news during the election and seven million dollars is a drop in the bucket that actually yeah, that's, that's the, the cost it's like my speeding ticket my 80 dollar throw it away and forget about it and just don't get another speeding ticket for two years speeding ticket. yeah just apply that several times over and you've got the facebook situation the, the super fucking rich can't afford to pay the fines for crimes which basically creates a system where the rich people are allowed to commit more crimes than the rest of us I mean, um, and and up thanks, to and including a Supreme Court case that may or may not happen soon. Again, since the '70s, trying to decide whether or not the president can commit crimes. Imagine, if you will, you got farted in your face by your chief operating officer, won a big settlement. However, making a stink about it means that you have far less employment opportunities in the future with which to buy more VR index sets with your big class at with your big fat stacks of a class action lawsuit payout. Should we just basically be really on the nose about this? This has been an abhorrent situation for some time. Like I've not heard anything positive about working at riot in any number of years. It's been a complete joke in the way that they get so much bad press and yet they will then do stuff that is so tone deaf. It's like, I didn't they host like a conference that was then, oh, no guys in this conference. 
Like, guys, like, guys, you can't just fucking do a heel turn and think after years of this shit going on behind closed doors, it's now coming to light. It's not that simple. And yeah, like you said, that lawsuit, they're absolutely people involved. Right. Are going to make that seem like like a big act of humility. Yeah. And it's not. It had to be taken to court. And the people are still there. Yeah. And the people who were hurt had barely got anything in return. And this only happened because of a Kotaku article, which is even crazier. This only came about because of pushback from a Kotaku article. So, so wait a second. We're living in the same year where a bunch of video game journalism exposés triggered a class action lawsuit that that at least got some people paid some money in some weird way. And um, the sequel to Half-Life 2 is coming out. Shinmu 3 is coming out. It's um, already out. Hideo Kojima finally stopped making Metal Gear. <laughs> Doom 2 is coming out again in a little bit. <laughs> this is like... I feel like the universe is just kind of throwing There's us a, a softball. Game. 2019 <laughs> is a softball before the universe gets shitty again, I'm sure. We'll see. Yeah. I'm gonna go to space. And, and it's, enjoy. It's quite bizarre. First questions from Wes Craven. Oh, wait a second. First question was sent to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. If you also would like to send the first, second, or third questions to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com, please send them to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. Our first question is from Wes Craven. Like the Wes Craven. Who says, hello there. (laughs) I was waiting on it. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's a spooky mystery. Hello there, sons and dads. I got a question. Is there a great fabutastic 12 out of 10 game that makes you want to throw up immediately when you're thinking about it? I'm not talking about VR sickness or motion sickness, although that could be a factor. What I mean is that you are playing a great game at the worst possible moment in your life, and it affected the memories of the experience with terrible, repulsive recollections of physiological or even mental sicknesses you might have been suffering through at the time. Halo Three. What happened to you during Halo Three? I, 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 I was, I was, I was like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. So basically, the shittiest part of anyone's life of like trying to figure who it was. The Morty ages. Yeah, of like, and I have so many times. Basically, it's that game that where I was just suffering from an addiction where I would get on to play even when I did not want to play it at all. And I'm honestly kind of glad that I got to re-experience Halo 3 through MCC, through El Dorito, because I'm like, oh, this game is really fucking great. And I was just in a really bad place at that time and was basically only playing it one way when the strength of Halo 3 is that there's an almost infinite number of ways to play that game. Uh, uh, Maybe this will help you out. Hang on, I'm going to channel my inner therapist here. What I find (laughs) can sometimes help us deal with past traumas is remembering an event not as something that caused the trauma, but rather something that you held on to throughout the trauma. So maybe what you're really remembering here is that the strength of Halo 3, as you've recently discovered, was Mm -hmm. what got you through that hard time in your life. Perhaps it was, and perhaps I was, uh, yeah, just thinking that I wish that I w- was in a better place to enjoy the game even more at that time, but it's not like something I'm bitter about because the universe worked out fine. Halo 3 came back. It's a great game still. I can still go back and play, and also, yeah. like, I happen to know enough people that we can hop back on Halo pretty much any time uh, and still continue that experience. So, you you other guys got one? Super Mario Odyssey. That was recent. <laughs> It was. Oh shit! I bet it was a Japanese natural disaster. No. Or moving, no. moving. I bet it was moving. 
No, it wasn't. It was just hmm. uh, similar to Erasovic. Basically, just a bad time. Just a really bad oh, time. Oh, I... Yeah. Yeah, when we started... Around the time we started Dad and Sons. They was oh, coming off the back of some uh, rough... A rough few months for me. I, in, I, I've, pi- I've pieced it together. I know what. what yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Super Mario Odyssey came out at a real rough time for me. And obviously, it's a game I was incredibly excited about. But playing it was both bittersweet. It made me happy because it's Mario. And I love Mario games. But it mm. was happening around a time where I couldn't really enjoy anything. You think so. you'll be able to play it again without <laughs> triggering those memories? Um, or is it, are they just permanently attached to the game now? When I think back to when I played, because I've only played it once, I just think of the time I played it. Not the game itself, but just the time of with which I played it. I think there are certain like TV shows that, that have the same effect for me where I will have only watched them once, but they'll remind me of a very specific time. I don't know if I played Super Mario Odyssey now, the game would trigger the memories, but every time I think of the game and the first time I played it, I would be like, oh, that was during so-and-so time. So I don't know, but it's intriguing to think about it. Matt, you got one? I can't think of one, but I'm pretty sure there's one, especially around that time as well. Really? Um, Did we all just have really bad 2015, 14, 17? Oh, I, I, I was off. <laughs> it was it, that 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 year was kind of rough. Yeah, for sure. It was right. <laughs> yeah, I remember trying to get into prey and I couldn't get into prey. I was just like, uh, I, I'm just not in the mood. I needed something very specific to like cheer cheer me up. Yeah, and pray I mean, is if if anything, it's a lot of things. It's not that. It's not that. <laughs> I was that. very very sick as a child when I was playing through the Water Temple in Zelda Majora's Mask, <laughs> and I was extremely nauseous and headachey for two straight days, which was the time of that game where I was going through that temple. And I've played through that game and absolutely adore it. I've played it like ten times since. And every time I get to that water temple, I have memories of how bad that that sickness was. Mm, and I just damn. don't know if they'll ever go away. I think they're permanently attached to that game. Like how like how Ocarina makes me remember the smell of fresh N64 cartridges in the summer of 99. So you don't <laughs> so you did not buy Majora's Mask 3D. Uh, is what I'm getting. I actually, oh, I, I didn't even think about how I didn't, but maybe this is the complicated psychological butterfly effect at work. <laughs> I will, I will happily play Majora's Mask up until that point, and then I just start getting a bad feel. And to mm. be fair, it's not the the game's best dungeon either, but it shouldn't. Yeah, the Water Temple, from my understanding, I know nothing about Zelda, but I've heard uh, like many jokes at the Water Temple's expense. The water levels are always uh, <clears throat> everyone's favorite. <laughs> I still credit Metal Gear Solid 2 for having a backtracking underwater escort mission. It is like every hateful piece of game design packed into a five-minute sector of awfulness. But it's okay because it's postmodern. <laughs> it's Kojima. So let's uh, wrap things up with a quick answer to one of the hardest most complicated questions we're ever going to get in our lives on this podcast. I am I am eager to see how we try to to get out of here after two hours after this one because this is a doozy. I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I'm like I'm not sitting up straight enough. I need to check my posture here. We, we ready? 
sons and dads, are we all strapped into the the SUV here? I got my seatbelt. Yeah, yeah, hold on. <laughs> Colin B asks, growing up, games were my primary source of entertainment. Being the typical skinny, nerdy white boy, I didn't go outside much or pick up an instrument. I played games. This was fine at the time, but now I'm 24, and the years of only consuming one entertainment medium have caught up to me. Oh. I want to be able to relate to people my age and form connections based on common interests, and having, quote, plays video games, quote, as my defining personality makes that difficult. So finally, my question is... What would you do if you were in my shoes? Have you ever been in or known someone in a similar situation? I mean, to me, like, I mean, I'm I'm a media soak personally. Like, I've mostly consumed media, but to be fair, like, throughout most of my life, it was just video games. And I was in that same place. And two things happened. One, I found, I happened to stumble into other like-minded people throughout my life that were in a similar position. And two, I broadened my expansion of media that and started to realize how many commonalities there really are in games because games use everything because games inherently use audio visuals interactivity all that um when you go to a, in, when you go to movies or you go and you consume albums or you consume a read through a book you start to see a lot of parallels and start to see the similarities and start to view entertainment uh through a much broader lens of connections basically everything makes a lot more sense and because you have that you start to real you can then start to interact with people that maybe don't play games but they consume other types of media that can get them into just as much of a role as being someone that played through a game four or five times on hardest difficulties and stuff like that and those similar passions have enough connections that's me that any conversation interaction and personalization there can be had in my experience anyway so like that'd be my main thing is that so it's like a absolutely gateway. yeah it's it really is a gateway so like to me it would be um don't be hardcore about it. don't say like oh i have to get a favorite movie or i have to get a favorite album or something but just explore just broaden your horizons and through doing that you will very likely stumble into other like-minded people that will appreciate <laughs> your company yes i guess i have been in your shoes and what happened to me was i started to kind of explore just like ray said i got into music i got into movies i got into you know um like hiking, trying stuff that you normally wouldn't do. Normally you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to go hiking or I don't know, go to this thing. You got to you got to try it because if you don't try it, you won't know. Um, And like, uh, for instance, I was I was we were talking about this the other day. Uh, Like uh, there's tools like meetup dot com. Yeah. Where you literally mm -hmm. could just type in something you might be interested in your area. That's how adults make it. friends. Yes. It, well, what this does is it um, I don't know where you live because it definitely depends on where you live. But here in California, mm -hmm. I mean, if it's like something totally different over here, um, you go there and then people are just kind of open to just having conversations. And uh, if you have that in your area, that's a good way to kind of like have different voices instead of just your own in your head. If you're just spending most of your time inside your house. Because it's good to have people with multiple experiences and um, just um, other tastes than your your own. Um, yeah. And yeah. I would like to say that 
most people in the world are not shitty and most people in the world would like, you know, talk to you, you know, and see what you like. And even if, you know, they don't have anything in common, they can still enjoy a conversation with you. You have to start somewhere. I think it takes skill to get to that point. Like, I, I think I've talked before about how I didn't learn small talk until like 22 years old like growing up as an only child you just straight up get less experience points in your social attribute <laughs> uh so i didn't grow up like that obviously i've always played video games i've always loved video games i make video games for a living so of course there's been a fascination for video games my whole life but i was always open as a kid to playing sports or like skateboarding or listening like i got into music like i was super hardcore into like metal when i was a kid so i met people by going to like gigs and stuff like that so for me it was never a problem but the people i was always drawn to like my best friends were always people like you like they just were obsessed with video games because for me the number one priority was like video games all the time even though i did a whole bunch of other things but I am thankful that I had these different experiences because I met a whole bunch of different people that made it a lot easier when I, you know, grew up and I moved around the world and I yeah. talked to people from all various places. And I think one of the things you'll find is that, especially now, you're kind of, I don't want to say you're lucky that you live in an age like now where you can go to a place like PAX and meet oh, yeah. a million people like you, but mm. are into... Oh. Not just video games, but they're into like board games, like, and D and D, and yeah. I don't know, like tabletop stuff or music. Easier to make internet friends than it ever used to be, and also mm. meet up with them. It's so much safer and easier to meet up with internet friends in real life than it ever used yeah. to be. And while you yeah. might have like a commonality there that you both played the same Mario game when you were a kid or something like that, like they will understand what your passion is for what it is you like. And you won't be known as just the dude who plays video games. You'll just be a dude who knows a lot about video games. Like, I know a lot of, I know a heck of a lot about video games. I know a heck of a lot about making video games. But I also know a lot about Manchester City Football Club. So it's like, <laughs> you need to just, like, go out and meet people. And they will introduce you to things. Like, Matt, and you've heard me and Matt talk on the show about D&D. And also, like... Yeah the gym and hiking and yeah. various things. Sometimes you've just got to like take one plunge and do something that you never thought you'd like. And you might end up loving it. There'll right. be plenty of things you fucking hate. Like you'll like go to a cooking class. Cause you think that's the thing you should be doing. And you'll realize you're not George and you hate cooking <laughs> like I do. And that's fine. And that's Cause fine. you might find something it, else. It, it, and the other thing, too, with those experiences is that even if it's a bad experience, that to me is just another way to learn more yeah, about yourself along exactly. the way and to better yourself. Yes. You just know that's too. not for you. you and you're that's 24. Fine. But you can still be friends with people who enjoy that. And you will be thankful that you just made a connection through those people. Like, as Matt said, going to meetups, going to places like PAX. Like, it's weird to say, but I feel like PAX is probably the one of the safest places I've ever been to in regards to having so many people who are so alike yet like hundreds of different things card games board games tabletop games mm -hmm. media music video games like it is this weird space where everybody is kind of on the same level about how they understand everybody has a passion for something and that's okay mm -hmm. that's totally okay and you're in the right spot right now because you're thinking about it yeah and you're 24 
That's not a yeah. bad age. You're thinking about it at 24. You're you're not fully there yet. You know, once you hit 25, 26, and you know you start to once, really come into your own. Once you, you know? got to get your own insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so once I, you get to the point where you're you're getting closer to a point where you might start thinking about a will, not writing it, not making it, but, you know, <laughs> slowly along the way. Like I have a couple of things to leave behind. Once yes. you start thinking about how it's actually pretty miraculous you managed to make it as long as you did. You guys ever get that? <laughs> like sometimes I think about all the near death experiences I've had in traffic and stuff, and I'm like, wow, I actually made it to 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 the thirty up. The thing that that made it that made it to me because like I'm only twenty five, but in my case it was on my like even on my bookshelf here. There's I've got a book of uh, of a hometown here over here, Greg Moore, who was a racing driver like uh, who died at twenty four, and it was the thing from my head. I was like, holy fuck, I've now lived on this planet longer than he did. And like he was someone mm -hmm. I idolized, and now I'm like, what the hell? This is weird. Yeah, like and then, how young was Alexander the Great? Mm -hmm. <laughs> way, way younger than all of us, and then died way <laughs> younger than us. But yeah, yeah Kukubi was 27, and you're like, what? Like, it, Take does, that, it doesn't Kurt. matter how old you are anyway. Like, you just life. You life is short, change. but it life is short, but it's also very long at the same time. So. And, so basically at 24 that is by no means too late yeah. to broaden your horizons no. and explore and, more and like a, a small a small example of like of a, a completely different person in a completely different culture doing something similar is a very good artist friend of mine who is like 35 you know 11 years older than you but he's been he's been an otaku his whole life obsessed with like video games and robots and everything but recently we kind of noticed with him he's been making small changes like his desk is super clean he bought like a tiny little cactus for it that he looks oh. after <laughs> and he waters and i like talked to him about it and asked him some questions and he was like i just wanted to make a better change in my life and he's been like reading a lot of like traditional japanese zen books and he's like i never paid attention to this stuff when i was a kid and stuff but now as i get older like i feel like change is good and i should do more stuff like this instead of just drawing robots all day and stuff which he's fucking great at but you know it doesn't matter how old you are and it doesn't matter how small the change is if it's making you feel good and it makes you you make feel like you're making progress just go ahead and do it it's 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 a healthy thought to constantly progress that's what the psalm says i think we answered it pretty like uh, more succinctly uh, than i expected i never even what george uh, what? I, what you want to wrap up george? I, I think i had the revelation at 22 when like i went all through middle <laughs> school and high school and college not really doing a whole lot besides playing video games or connecting with people or talking to people about a whole lot besides video games uh but at 22 i noticed i was really getting into bicycling as i was bicycling to and from work a lot i decided to do a cross-country bicycle tour and it was literally like a, a two-month process suddenly i figured out how to talk to people i figured out how to have a list of uh, cool short stories I could use to start conversations, and it really did make life easier. Life was hard before and easy afterwards. It's a real-ass thing. You put points into your social skills, kids, and, <laughs> and it makes dating easier. It makes shopping easier. It makes making friends easier. It makes uh, calling your landlord to pay your bills easier. It makes talking to your doctor about embarrassing stuff easier. There's so many ways that I don't think a lot of people appreciate 
well-developed social skills improving someone's day-to-day -day life with like that confidence boost is a real thing that that made me feel healthy healthier and happier and more confident about the future and i probably would not have had the confidence to start a youtube channel had i not unfortunately you got to do it though you got to throw yourself out there very deliberately and it's scary and yeah uh, you got to weigh the risks at the end of the day you can't have someone else it's always good to have people that can to encourage you and all that but you ultimately have to take the action yourself yes. and i think almost all of us have had that sort of aha moment for me yeah. it was university i feel like who i was before going there and eight months later coming up was a completely different person simply because i went from you know mostly you know isolated at home and you know just going through courses and being in a depressed state to having to organize my life, having to do crappy things like get up at 5 a.m. and take multiple buses and ferries and stuff, having oh, to interact with that. people when I'm only stuff. hooked on coffee for hours on end you, you, and four hours sleep. You know, the You're, grass for sure confirmed by science is greener because nowadays I actually miss that. Oh God, I want it back so much. <laughs> Being your own boss and on the clock all the time in your own lonely ass little house is the fucking... It's cool at first, but uh, the grass is always greener, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is, George. What, what are you complaining about? I, I don't even <laughs> fucking know because I don't even like complaining about it, and that causes me just, to just... Uh, feel some anxiety that tears my sense of personality and identity apart. Ah! And you'll always, you'll always want more. You'll always want. No, no, we're, we're going scary. downhill. We, we answered scary. the question well, and now we're going downhill. Let's, <laughs> you'll always want George, more. George, stop yourself. When I'm curled up on my deathbed <laughs> with my Metal Gear Solid 3 machine, I want to be satisfied. I don't want more. At some point, we got to... But, well, because isn't that the problem with the video game industry? Is that the investors keep wanting more? Uh, so this is like where I'm going to begin the spoiler section right here with me saying um, oh. because this is the dad and sons podcast where we begin our sentences with things like um and like. So um, this is three weeks in the waiting. We, we got our Death Stranding spoiler cast up here and, and it's just me and you, Matt. <laughs> It's just me and you. It's, this is so late. We should have did this like last week. Liam has has said he might pick it up again in the future, but doesn't know if the window is going to be soon enough to, to participate. Uh, neither of the two guests we've had on have uh, been either yeah, playing Death Stranding or keen yeah. to participate in a Death Stranding spoiler chat. It's just you and me. Yep. Yep. Well, let, let's let's see how let's see how this goes because it seems like you have a big hard on for it. So you know. Oh, dude, dude, it's huge. Oh it's my god, rock hard, George. and we're we're about to find out how how hard it is by doing a thing that I started with the Evangelion spoiler chat, in which Liam and I tried to recite the incredibly, increasingly batshit insane plot of Evangelion from memory. How in the world would the plot of Death Stranding sound like from memory? Are you ready to start this off, Matt? Yeah. All right, let's All let's right. alternate between the two of us. Every time we say a single sentence, the next person says the oh, next sentence. I don't know if I'm going to remember. Okay, all right, all right, I'm ready. <clears throat> a apocalyptic event causes a lot of people in the United States to just drop dead for some reason no one really knows about. Okay, um, uh, um, Sam Bridges loses his family. 
uh, <laughs> loses his family, and uh, he's the only one who survives because he has dooms. No, wait, is he Sam Bridges at that point in the timeline, or yeah. is he Sam Porter? No, he's Sam Bridges at the time. But okay, he's Sam Porter after that event. Okay. Because after the apocalyptic event, people decide to name themselves off of, like, silly descriptions of themselves. So, if you're a transporter, you're a porter. So that's why he becomes Sam Porter Bridges after the apocalypse. Oh, so is it because they lost all their generations? Is that is that what it is? No, no the real reason why is because it's stupid. Right, because your name no longer exists because your grandparents and everybody's That's dead. the stupidity of it, is that they completely forget about their prior generations, but the logic and idea behind it is that, like like in the Middle Ages, when, when populations were increasing, it was no longer good enough to just have one name. You had to have your name, maybe your town, your father, your job, so... Anyways... Um, okay, so, and then after um, that... Oh, God. Uh, when a bunch of people... People die, and it causes an apocalyptic event, and then they blow up. People who die blow up. They they just. You mean they go inside the? They, they get the, they get the grabbed by ghosts the, the, and the, and they the explode no and the they, explosion no head, displaces a, a lot of earth and forms new <laughs> Wait, mountains what? and new lakes that separate <laughs> no, people. That's what it and break. Wait, well, what? You can see it in the environment. There are like all these craters and perfectly formed holes everywhere with mounds of mountains around them. Right. Okay. It, 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 uh, uh, the, the, what happens next, Matt? Sam Sam Porter um, runs over uh, fragile, but she's not that fragile. His his bike breaks because it is fragile, and that's the twist. So what did her, him and fragile even do in the cave? If I remember right, I think they just say hi and move on with their lives, and it takes like thirty minutes. It's it's a pointless scene. Oh fuck! We forgot to talk about the rain. The rain that doesn't hit him no matter what. Uh, All he's you... wearing is a, a damn raincoat, and he doesn't get touched by the rain? Rain is bad. Uh, that's part of the apocalyptic event. People, Okay, so the, the, the Death Stranding is that people blow up when they die, ghosts become real, and rain is poison. Right. Umbilical cords, though. The, the umbilical cords tying them to the earth. It's, it's a metaphor for um, online extremism and social networks in the 21st century in a post-Trump, post-Brexit era. No, I'm not even kidding. This has been confirmed by interviews by Kojima. Wait, what? I, I'm not bullshitting you. He has said that the isolation that these bunker dwellers in the game experience is supposed to be a metaphor for people hunkering down in their own social media bubbles and, and not not compromising and communicating with, with the other side of their disputes online. Wow. Okay. So you run around, wait, wait, no, no. Are we still d describing the plot synopsis or just like the overall themes of the game? Because I feel like they're two very different things. The plot synopsis is batshit insane and stupid. The themes make a cool kind of sense. And that's the difference between the two is the difference between story and plot. Because what, what did they do in the cave with Fragile? I don't know. The the monster oh yeah monsters just come so up. happens to not touch them. The monster walks around where they are okay. all okay, so the that's, time. That's the purpose of the 30-minute cutscene, to introduce us to our main and secondary character and how the monsters work. And it takes 30 minutes to do that. What, that, that the monsters never touch Sam? Uh, yeah, that, that if you just they like walk right quietly, in front of Sam like, oh, I don't want to go that way. Hold I your breath and stay way. still. That's how you beat the bad guys in this game. And they, they turn directions 
They go around you in, in, instead. So Sam, avoid, fragile, just like zooms off into the sunset while Sam walks very slowly and painfully to Capital Not City. Do you, like, the BTs are always floating. So where does the, the, where, are they on the floor at all? Is it only when they see you that you start seeing stuff hit the ground? Sam gets a mission from the president of the United States to go walk to the West and, and reestablish. Also his mom. His mom is the president. Somehow. Um, on the way, he's going to install people's internet, rebuild the roads and the bridges, and, and try to reestablish the links of communication that make uh, the, the country of America happen, which in this game is the United Cities of America instead of the United States. Wait, hold on. Oh, let, let's talk about that. Wait, he's... That's his mom. Yeah. But Cliff is his dad? Um, Cliff is BB's dad. Yeah, but in the cutscene, he... Norman Rita says... Is that me? And uh, Cliff is talking to him in the flashback. I remember Cliff killing his wife. For some reason, I didn't really right? understand. And then he says, is this me? That's what Sam says. Really? I'll pull it out for you while you, while you say the synopsis. I remember when you said that you fell asleep during the ending. What, me? Yeah. I, I, I did drowse. Uh, not that one. It was, it was the other ending. Not that ending, the other ending, <laughs> the first ending, the one oh, where you're the on one the where beach. You're, yeah, I, I, I appreciated that. <laughs> when you're on the beach waiting and you're just walking around, you just keep getting sucked back to the same point. And, I'm, and she's just talking. And, and there's a button on the controller you can press that makes Sam yell out into the distance. Is this it? Is it? I'm not done yet. And it just echoes on forever. The I... I really appreciated that. I okay. I I, I have a very long-winded explanation. <coughs> it's very weird and probably not the way most people played and interpreted this game. Are you Are you ready? Yeah. How familiar are you with the cinema of David Lynch? Not a lot. I didn't watch Twin Peaks a lot. Um, he has an extremely lethargic style. There's very very dark sets with quiet droning music and slow close-ups on people's uh, kind of neutral facial expressions. And it makes me sleepy. And I've always enjoyed them, but I've never really been able to actually stay 100% awake and cognizant throughout most of the David Lynch uh, uh, big hitter movies. Like the really slow, creepy ones like uh, Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway and, and Eraserhead. And in Japanese kabuki theater, it is considered quite appropriate and okay to be dazed in and out of sleepiness when watching the production. And I'm wondering if this game is not necessarily intended to be consumed while half asleep. <laughs> but if that was something, if these were two inspirations that Kojima looked at to create a product that is very visibly influenced by two different mediums of entertainment that are meant to be consumed while kind of sort of half asleep. Or, or at least not meant to, but can be interestingly and enjoyably consumed while half asleep. Wow. I, I don't know if you remember, but MGS4 had some kabuki overtones. K kabuki? Uh, in MGS3, there's an optional kabuki face mask. I guess Kojima grew up with it. Yeah, and in Japan, it's like an old-fashioned, um, um, traditional 
style of theater that, that only old people are really into. The, the rest of us find it boring, supposedly. I'm going to send you this cutscene, and there it is. Here, he says it right here. Right here. Oh, fuck. Oh, this is... You linked me to the dead baby cutscenes. Look, look, no, no. no I don't watch what he says. Watch what Sam says. Okay, okay. I'll close my eyes, but we got to talk about that next. Oh, is the BB Sam. Okay, okay. So, <clears throat> I guess he's thinking that Sam might have been cloned from BB. I guess. But the timeline wouldn't work out because it wouldn't. the apocalypse is only like 40 years old, right? He wouldn't have had time to grow up from... <gasps> Wait, no, maybe... Oh my god, yeah, no, that actually would work out. If the apocalypse is like 20 to 40 years old, and that is a newborn baby on year zero of the apocalypse, then that baby, if they made DNA clones of that baby, even if that baby dies, and they made clones of that baby later, one of them could grow up to be Sam. Right. You don't remember this cutscene? Did you fall asleep? Yeah, I was. I was like lethargic in and out. I remember the wife killing. I remember incinerating it, but I don't remember that one particular line out of like an hour of cutscenes. But that was like the main thing. Like he Cliff was like like saying, "Oh, Sam, without you there will be no future." You know, no, Matt, Matt, blah, I think blah, blah, I know blah, blah. what the problem is. What? I was so shocked and upset by seeing a dead baby that everything else just kind of got blurred out. <laughs> because, no, that's a line. He crossed the dead baby line. Do you... How many... How many... Uh, I don't know how I feel about that because I really want to, like, give this game the benefit of the doubt for trying to be weird and artsy and deliberately confrontational. But at that point, it feels overly aggressive. Like, I am... I'm... I feel like seeing the BB in the pod around all the spooky, scary stuff is super duper tense enough because you're constantly worried about, you, you know, what, the, what is what is that going to do to a baby? And it's not even a baby yet. It's like a fetus. But <laughs> did I pay attention to the story more than you? <laughs> BBs are ghost babies that are technically born on the beach. Wait, What? In order to manifest them in reality, they need a still mother, which is a concept that they invented for the game yeah. to to create them in our own waking plane of existence. Because the beach is like a different universe or a different dimension or something. And that's where BBs are supposed to be. And here in the waking world, they don't thrive. They don't live long enough to be born and grown up. But maybe one of them managed to. And that's... Um, why Sam ah. says that to his BB because yeah I'm, I'm remembering it better now I my interpretation of that scene was that that's Brain when we find out mothers. that BB was Sam's ghost baby brother you remember in um oh what's the David Cage game uh beyond a tale of two souls uh you probably don't remember that but I sure as hell can spoil the ending for you if you're ready oh no I I I remember watching Jesse Cox play. Mm -hmm. You remember the twist at the end when it turns out that your ghost sidekick is your sibling who was yeah. dead in the womb? That's yeah. what I think is a similar thing going on. BB is Sam's brother from a cloned mother or something. BB is Sam's cloned brother from another mother, but still technically his brother because they have the same DNA from the same parents. But... but but it died though but so it has to be a clone <laughs> well they're churning them out of an assembly line because they killed the mother they killed the mother he killed 
He killed the mother. One Cliff. thing that I'm not too clear on is how many different genetic BB copies there are out there. Because I'm under working under the assumption that all the BBs in the world are using um, Mads's Mads DNA. They're all they're all Madsons or Mads daughters. It, who Mickelsons? Like, Mad I, Mickelson. They're Mickelsons. You know what disturbs me is how he came up with this concept. It's it's a, it's a little weird. Like still mothers that are brain dead. Right? Yeah. That are sustained. Whose yeah. babies have been taken to be used by Bridges operati- uh, oper- operatives I, as I think bridge babies. This is over overworked Japanese anxiety coming out. Dude, I have elaborate headcanon explanations for a lot of this, even though my understanding of the game's story and events is very hazy. Okay, so <clears throat> I believe that Death Stranding is Hideo Kojima's weed game. Starting okay. around 2015, 2014, we were all finding out that it was taking way too damn long over there at Koji Pro Studios to be making Metal Gear Solid V. Uh, he got, I don't know if sacked is the right word, but, but pushed into resigning from his employer because his projects were taking too long and too expensive. After that, Kojima makes a lot of friends with Western celebrities like Guillermo del Toro, Mads Mikkelsen, and Norman Reedus. He opens a subsidiary in Southern California at a studio that uh, has an engine he wants to work on. And this gives him an opportunity to take a lot of trips to California. <laughs> and I don't know how closely you followed the social media um, connections, if you will, between him and his favorite Western celebrities. But there's tons of pictures of them like hanging out in nature, smiling, just giggling it up, having the time of their lives for some reason in California instead of Japan, where weed is incredibly illegal and will get you thrown in jail for, like, a joint. <sighs> so two years roll down the road, and, and Kojima ends up making this game that is about hiking in the woods, looking out at nature, listening to some, some chill music with, with a lot of... Uh, small breaks in the game um, um smoke breaks if you will you know you can just hold down circle and all of a sudden sam is taking a break uh there's a lot of clicking through menus there's a lot of cutscenes. there's a lot of downtime incorporated into a game that is a very chill slow-paced experience that uh didn't seem to really come about until after he he got greater accessibility to a region where where weed is is less less regulated and more legal Wait, wait. It's not his weeb game. It's his weed game? Yeah, why do you think everyone's thinking so deeply on life and death and society in, in America, man? <laughs> it's a game about very broad topics that are brought together by weed logic. It's a game full of weed ideas, weed logic, weed activities, weed music, weed scenery. This is, this is Kojima's weed game. I, I find it very hard for me to poke holes in this theory. Because, you know, he couldn't come out and confirm or deny it even if he wanted to because Japan, and that makes it rock solid as a theory. You know that Yakuza voice actor who got uh, found with cocaine on him in Japan and how, like, his whole career blew up? No. Yeah, if Kojima said that this game might have been inspired by getting high with his favorite Western celebrities and then watching the news about Trump and Brexit, he would definitely lose some solid business connections in Japan that he relies on. Damn. Bruh. You know what? That sounds like... That's crazy. But that's, it makes that's sense. nuts. Yeah, you also <laughs> you know, know how... It does make sense. Can you imagine... The- just he's just high enough to go through 
a few like y- years of making a game about his high. Like, <laughs> or at least I guess the ideas he came up with while high. Because I I You think he's like smoking with Norm? He's like, bro, imagine if I made a game about fucking bridge babies bro <laughs> and then he goes home and and he has to stay sober for for months on end and he's like okay actually let's let's follow up on that crazy weed idea and do it justice <laughs> that's the impression i get from a lot of this game is that it's like unpredictable artsy crazy ideas that the game was being used as an excuse to dive straight into. So when I think about how the narrative doesn't make a lot of sense, it doesn't upset me as much as most people, because I kind of see it as freestyle jazz. Like, like just throwing <laughs> paint onto the canvas, man. What? No, not jazz. More like that new age, electronic music garbage, you know? Not jazz. Oh, you don't think they use jazz cabbage when making that stuff? Oh, jazz cabbage, the devil's lettuce. <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> Maybe a little bit of nose candy in there as well. I think it's been established at this point that we are not going to be able to summarize this plot. I mean... We're 25 yeah. minutes in. I mean, from like that 25, I'm pretty sure people remember what they experienced. Hopefully yeah. you guys finished it, right? And it's not only us, too, that finish this game because that's the thing i wanted to talk about how dead babies make me sad and uncomfortable and how i didn't like wow we're not gonna talk about dead babies for the for the next (laughs) you can't say that without spoiling death stranding can you though because that's i i feel like it was i think kojima might be thinking that dead babies are more shocking than the gaming audience has evidently um received it because the gaming audience got a lot more shocked and upset over the gameplay being about walking and delivering packages than they did about the story being about dead babies reached there no one has reached yeah yeah it's a very very long (laughs) process too and i bet the less the less player structures you have the more unlikely it makes it to get to the end of the game which is something i'm really interesting to see how it uh ages so okay I think Kojima also imagines this game as being kind of a metaphor for the moon landing. Okay. Um, When Kojima was growing up, he wanted to be an astronaut. He thought that the moon landing was like mankind's greatest accomplishments. He made police knots before he made Metal Gear. Uh, In MGS3, one of the huge plot points at the end was how the boss goes up to space and sees the world without political borders and and there's a lot of stuff amelie says in this game that mirrors that like she constantly says we need to make america whole again and remember when the villains in metal gear are the ones trying to make the world whole again so maybe kojima's done a heel turn himself on that idea but uh the logo for his new studio is an astronaut planting a flag on on a dusty rocky surface and the game is also a collaborative effort from thousands of people to try and make a long distance journey that would otherwise not be possible so i think kojima is totally putting himself in this thing it's a game about his ambitions and anxieties doing post metal gear work in a post trump world when the one he grew up in was one where people were getting along well enough to go to the freaking moon does this okay so i've talked about death training for 25 minutes and i feel like i've definitely hogged the mic does this help because i know that you were like more negative on it than i am neither well, of us are as negative as liam but i genuinely like the game i think you're a little more reluctant i like there is some points 
that I enjoy. Like, I enjoy that this was made. Oh, I fucking love that it's made. I can't wait for the Call of Duty, like, peacekeeping spinoff to... <laughs> yeah, like, I, like... I I enjoy the, the concept of it. I enjoy that, like, he was bold enough to make a walking game. The, the execution... Uh, it's not so good. It's good sometimes. Like, at the end, I say I, I enjoyed the when you had to walk all the way back. I thought I would hate that, but I ended up quite Liking? appreciating it. And yeah. that's that describes a lot of my experience with the gameplay. I was constantly thrown into a situation where something that seemed unappealing ended up becoming, I don't want to say the funnest video game in the world, but definitely a fun video game. When it when they said you have to walk back, I was like, oh, oh no, <laughs> it's oh, so no. fast. But then like, I I like that um, you hit like they take away your bike, obviously because they don't want you just driving everywhere. Because that's what I did. As soon as I got it, it kind of just not ruined the game, mm. but like I'll just do that and just ram my there, bike and glitch it up these on, stupid on rocks. Week and it did two. feel satisfying. On week two of the podcast, it almost sounded like you were playing a different game than me. Because, yeah. like, I can exploit the bike. I can glitch it up hills and stuff. But eventually, I do want... Like, I'll I'll want to give it up. It won't feel worth the the struggle. I'll, I'll, I can get the bike into places it feels like you're not supposed to. But it, I've never... I never developed a play style around it. Like, I always felt the temptation to, to throw it away and do something more interesting. And it was around the mountain part of the game where... I totally switched over and was like, okay, yeah, I get it. They don't want me using the bike. I understand. I, it would take longer if I did. I would have done it. Yeah, I would have done it. Um, no, no, the bike is quicker. I would have done it if there wasn't so many BTs around. I use the bike to skip BTs, mostly. I don't want to walk around and and have to deal with BTs three times before I get to a destination. I just don't want to do it. You know what I fucking hate, though, is the pause the game does to show your Odorek spinning up. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Every time. The same thing. Over and over again. And then your bike stops. and, and Dead it, stop. Dead on a stop. dime. It doesn't even look like it makes sense. You know. No, it doesn't. And then... Uh, at one time, I was able to, like, glitch it out by getting off the bike and getting back on, and that was faster than waiting for the cutscene. Um, but it stopped working. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Describe the glitch. Describe. I <laughs> I wish I had figured this out. Well, like, basically, when it was about to happen, i get off the bike, and it would happen on my character, but, I, <laughs> but it wouldn't stop me. And I could just get back on the bike and <laughs> keep going. Because um, I don't want to stop. Like, I get it. Like, BTs are around. I get it. Let, let's go let's go like bb screams and whatever on the controller or whatever it, like i that's all i need i don't need all that i wish i could disable it i had a harder time finding them than you guys seemed to like unless i'm looking at a bt i i don't feel certain about where they're gonna be i mean you can look up in the sky and you see these like strands but when you're close and the the rain and the fog pick up they the, the the strands disappear and you're supposed to be using your your senses and in my the case senses. I would have ridden the motorcycle a little bit scanned for BTs ridden the motorcycle a little bit more scanned for BTs maybe throw some pee at one of them ride the motorcycle a little bit more and then I'd be out of the area and it was tedious and it was annoying 
and maybe could have been done better, but it didn't upset me. Like, I, I, yeah. I'm definitely I, less upset by upsetting things in this game than most people, and I realize it's because of my background and the expectations yeah. and the knowledge. Being able to interpret it on Kojima's level probably changes your interpretation of the game a whole lot. Yeah. I, like, being able to know how it relates to his career and his history. I mean, that's that's what you have to expect when you get a Kojima game, though. Like, now when you it saw is. it, it looked like a walking game. You... You knew it was going to be a weird thing. If you didn't know, then you weren't paying attention. And I'm kind of happy with that because I was worried the game would be way less weird than it turned out to be. Because yeah, in those trailers yeah. that we saw people, the reception was always, wow, this looks so weird. But reveal trailers like the one they showed at uh, Game Awards 2015 of him waking up on the beach naked. Th that's a weird situation. But reveal trailers like that, they never show gameplay anyway. They always show some cutscene that doesn't look at all like how the game plays. And then uh, a year later, no, it was 2016 that was the reveal. Um, 20, was it 2019? When did they do the one where you actually see Sam punching people and riding the bike and using the ladder I, I to cross a gap? Anything. This was all fresh to me when I got um, it. There was one trailer where you see some basic combat and the world war tunnel shooting segments. And at that point, after that trailer, I was like, okay, maybe people are kind of playing up how weird this game is. Cause there's some scenes in that trailer that didn't look that weird. And the game turned out to be weird. So I'm happy. I, it, all right. So I'll say, I feel like it was kind of like a little lazy. Like, hmm. no, it's a lot of lazy. Yeah. Like, it was a lot of late. like first of all like the walking it gets old I the driving it's just it's it's not polished I, I and don't then know you if, have this formula that yeah, you run the into the formula is so transparent and I don't know if I want to use the word it, lazy the boss battles are garbage you can definitely tell there were some corners cut yeah it it feels it doesn't feel like a big epic flagship release from Kojima more like a side project spinoff experiment of a project and really though i'm also okay with that yeah it, yeah why why would you blow your load on the walking game when you don't know if people are gonna like a walking game or not yet like like half-life alex they're not calling it half-life 3 just in case like it's a it's it's an experimental entry into a, a new way of but, of building the game and so but this is not like his Metal Gear 2, where he does a switch It's not a room. theatrical adventure. No, this is not like, oh, you play it's right. No, this is like, you're walking, it's a walking game. It's going to be boring sometimes. You know, it might make you think about stuff. But $60, like, I keep going down to these prices for some of these games, man. And, like, there's so many other games mm. to play, especially around this time. I don't know if I would yeah. recommend it. I mean, obviously, this is the spoiler cast already. If you're here listening to this, you probably already played the game or not going to play the game. And see, when, when, God, I fucking hate saying this. It's like the open secret everyone knows. When you make a lot of money, yeah. it does not hurt anymore yeah, to spend $60 an amount. Like, I would, I am happy. I would, I would not recommend this game for everyone. I would absolutely positively recommend it for people who are really into game design yeah. or, of course, Hideo Kojima. Like the way I see it, it was marketed to Kojima fans yeah. and delivered something that Kojima fans are probably going to appreciate more than most people. And that is almost how it should be done. Like we, we have 
a movie industry that supports weird projects off of blockbusters, and the game industry's never really been able to adapt to a similar model like that, when it totally fucking could. Yeah. Like, uh, let's see, this was made by Sony. Sony, I believe, makes most of their money licensing movie properties and selling electronics um, and PlayStations. This was like a console exclusive, and I think that's the analog for indie movies versus blockbuster movies, is that console exclusives can oftentimes get weird and experiment with a high level of production value because they are not funded on a schedule that intends to sell copies of the game. They are instead intended to sell copies of a console or a brand. And having more projects like this that are explicitly designed to not sell copies and instead appeal to a specialized fan base audience, I think is a very positive direction for the industry to go. It is one that opens the door for many new genres of gameplay, as well as new ways to interact with obstacles in gameplay. Like what are the, what are the obstacles? What are the bad guys in a normal session of death stranding? There's the mules, but you're not going to see them in a normal session. They, yeah. Maybe one out of the three runs, you might run into actual typical video game bad guys. So what's what else is there? There's the rain. There's rocks, literally rocks in your way. There's rivers in your way. There's a time limit. Every step counts. In Death Stranding, I see level design as a smooth path of pebbles through a rocky, rugged mountain slope. Uh, bad guys are... Yeah, the rain, the boulders in your way, the the time limit impose, your shoes wearing down. And, oh, I wish I had said this during the answer to that question about what to do with your life after you realize video games aren't enough. <laughs> um, what would that answer be? That video games, I feel, help me visualize, inform myself and plan for real life activities that can be more fulfilling than video games. When I was on my bicycle trip, I had to micromanage my pack. I had to ration water. I had to pay attention to my energy meter, you know, a day, nine hours straight of bicycling in the desert with a limited supply of water is a very video gamey challenge when you're actually in the shit, crunching the numbers, planning your time out, and keeping track of how your body is performing over time. And I am thrilled, positively thrilled, to see a big-budget AAA science fiction video game with a dumbass story uh, turn a video game out of that stuff. I And it reminds me, because I, um, I just took a hike up Mount Baldy, and that one was 10,000 feet. Like, it took me nine hours to go up and down. Yo. It was the most I've I've ever done. I've never done something so ridiculous in my life. For me, it's ridiculous. For some of my friends, it's nothing. But for me, how, it how was ridiculous. How did, did you have to get level three bridges boots? Because oh, yeah. your, your I level had ones broke. Boots, let me tell you, I wasn't prepared for it, but my gosh, um, I did it. It's despite despite the lack of so like water. When you were when you were playing playing Death Stranding, did you get that feeling I was getting, where I was like pointing at the screen, being like, "Yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've I've had to deal with that bullshit." No, uh, and that's what I'm saying. I wish there were sections where it was only about climbing. Like, just a full section. There was, like, one or two, like, routes, like, in the very beginning where it was just about climbing, and I really enjoyed those parts where you had yeah. to take out the ladder and everything or find, like, 
some player um, ladders in like a certain corner of the mountain. I, I, I'm so sad you didn't get that in the mountains because I did. And I was really happy to throw away the vehicles at that point. And see, that's why I wanted it, uh, it in the mountains uh, for me. It was just all snowy and you could just drive up there. There was no rocky points or anything like that. You just drive up the, the snowy mountain and drive down the snowy mountain. And that's that was pretty much it. Um, Were there BTs I, on those slopes? Mm-hmm. BTs I, were there. I remember I I was not I tried and I was unable to to force the bike up those hills. I and drove most of the time after I got it. <laughs> you know, up until the mountains, throughout most parts in the game, you get your your destination from your order, and it's quite a walk away down a long road. Yeah. And the mountains, when I got my first order, that was at the top of a cliff that looked like it was something I was not supposed to climb, I was like, oh, yes, this is the challenge that this game has been waiting to throw at me. And I ended up going completely around the mountain the wrong way to a dead end that caused me to fall off a cliff and die, and it was the first part in that game where I actually died. I have a question, Matt. Yeah. How many times did you die in gameplay, not counting all the cutscene deaths? I died one in a cutscene death, which highly annoyed me like i told you on the thing where you oh, were supposed you were to go to the, the river did you mm, did that happen yeah, to you I, I remember that it did happen to me but i don't think i lost as much progress as no you did i out didn't of it, so i wasn't I frustrated thought I did. but what it did is saved right before i drove into ah. the city but i yeah, thought yeah, i was same. outside the city i was i started at and i was like oh hell no so wait, you left all those Discord messages and they were yeah, all they were all yeah and those angry Discord messages and that's when I said I that's why I went back I was like I want to see what happens to you guys <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it and say mm -hmm. oh it saved properly so I wanted to wait but you guys never hit I, it Liam never hit it and I guess you already knew I I, I had my suspicions and I made sure to save because once you get that box it says thermonuclear weapon. Yep. Handle with care. So I was expecting something to happen, and you had warned me that something was going to happen. And sure enough, I delivered it to the wrong city, and it blew up and gave me a game over. But uh, since it put me just a short walk away, I didn't feel that angry yeah. about it. Yeah. But I, I also interpreted that as a Kojima thing, as a as a psychomanus turn off your TV thing, um, which he does v again later on in the game with press R two to hug. <laughs> do you remember that moment press r2 to hug no yeah yeah you towards the end of the story very very end i think this is just before that false ending where you're walking oh, around on the moon yes. by yourself when she's in the water yeah they give you a gun the i people shot her, in the cutscene say yeah i feel like that's the what it's designed to do is to to get you to wake up and pay attention to how easy you are to resort to violence in video games i i because i shot her and it, it it didn't work and then i went up to it her. doesn't work yeah. no it just goes straight through her you have to actually open up your menus fiddle around with some buttons and have a press r2 to hug prompt show up for it to get working and i thought that was another really what? clever fun wait what no i just tried to shoot her i didn't yeah. so i ran up to her to see if i could hit her and i couldn't uh -huh. do that and it just says hug you have to put your gun away to hug her oh so you tried to punch her i get i <laughs> i tried to do anything like there's no way that she could just walk away from me yeah because she she triggers a cutscene that just um bumps you back a couple minutes 
And I was trying everything, but I did not try to punch her. Yeah, I just walked up to her, and it just said hug. But if punching her is what triggers it, then I feel like that should have still triggered something in you. Like, the whole while, I was like, oh, that clever Kojima, he, he knew I was going to try to shoot her, and now he's making a point about video game violence. Oh, that Kojima. <laughs> one cut scene, and he's making a statement. Only one. It just, <laughs> it just went right in and out for you you didn't you didn't raise your arms up and be like okay no no Aww. i mean come on we Aww. come on this stuff has been done like if you're gonna do something amazing like you have to do something great for us to pay attention these days right press r2 to hug has like, been done i don't i can't say a walking game has been done though. well yeah yeah not the walking game and that's what i respect about it and that's what I think is different from this than what's been done. Like this is no Spec Ops: The Line. I still like, this is a real, a much more <laughs> honest explanation or exploration of of nonviolence and video game violence. Um, and than uh, a guilt trip shooting gallery. I did not. I'm trying to figure out when I died because I know. Oh, I died when I fought Cliff the second time I fought Cliff. Oh, I, see, I never died in combat. I only have died from drowning or falling oh, off cliffs. Oh, no, I did die from drowning because I wanted to test it. In the very beginning, there was this waterfall, and I didn't know where to go. Like, I was just like, where where do I, where the hell do I go? Do And I wanted to see, like, can I swim? Nope. You die immediately nope. and just jumping into the water. <laughs> really? Yeah. I fell off the water I and was... it, it just killed me. And in the bowels of your emails, which is an issue, there are some hints for extras and Easter eggs. Apparently, there's supposed to be something in the big crater lake in the north middle of the western map. And I've tried to ride a bike over there a couple times. I don't know if I'd be able to get over there without more of a player network or exploitation, or even if you're supposed to be able to get to that lake. But I've drowned in the water on the way to that lake, and it was a slow sink. Like, I had a good good 30 seconds to turn around if I wanted to. Mm. So maybe that's the difference between tar versus water, I guess. Maybe that was tar I was sinking and, and into. And that's the thing. Like, I wanted stuff like that, where there were things that were probably hard to get to that probably had something of value. And, of course, sometimes and, they're there. But, and but, you had to use other players, had to work together to get there. Like, that would have been cool. Is the prize worth it, though? The memory chips, I don't feel, are are a satisfying reward. Dude, they just say, hey, oh, thanks for thinking of me. Okay, bye. Like, come on. What? What? what yeah, that's, that's the formula. Uh, what is uh, The corners this? that have been cut. Okay, so I got another yeah. question for you. Have you delivered um, Peter Engelbert's pizzas for one. him? Only one. He will unlock his bunker, and you get to go down and explore it, and there's some revelatory stuff there. But it's totally optional and something you might not find out about until after the main story. Oh. Um, if you max out the connection levels to five stars, they will invite you into their bunkers to rest so you can use them like a private room. Unfortunately, though, they did not render the interiors for most everyone's bunkers. So far as I've seen, it's just Peter Engelbert with his pizzas. Wow. Um, yeah, the, when, when you max out your connection level and take a rest inside someone's house, it just shows Sam opening the door, closing it, and then he walks back out again eight hours later. Oh, never mind. Okay, I thought it was something cool. Never mind. 
Well, the, there's the potential for something cool there because if you pay attention to one client in particular and do deliveries for them, they'll send you emails and give you extra equipment that tells some kind of story. Like the junk dealer gets married to the chiral artist, but then they break up, but then they get married again. Uh, Peter Engelbert and his pizzas, he has some dark, terrible secret to show you that he'll invite you into that ultimately I found to be a bit unfulfilling. <laughs> but if there was more of that, it's there. It's there. I just wish there was more of that incorporated into the main There's story. There's no way that the majority is getting five stars. I, I can tell you that yeah. for a fact. I, I need to see numbers if I'm wrong. Because <laughs> like there's no way that that's 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 fun. It's not fun to do to do those missions. Um I thought the story would pick up at the Guillermo del Toro shower scene. Yeah, right? And I was like, yes. This yeah, is that it. was a damn cool <laughs> scene. I I was so looking forward to things getting weird. I laughed for like an hour an hour. A minute and a half. Yeah. Straight laughter. That, okay, so Guillermo del Toro rushes Norman Reedus in the shower and gives an explanation, and it's it's funny and hilarious because of body humor, and social awkwardness and and humor in an otherwise serious game. But also, isn't that a Rick and Morty joke? And in Rick and Morty season two, he he zaps into Morty's universe and says, "Quick, Morty, there's no time to explain. Take a shower with me." I think so. Man, it's been so long. I think so. <laughs> Take a shower with me. And I mean, they did have an ad. They did so. a promotional. They did an ad. They did a promo with Rick and Morty. So I wonder if Death Stranding was conceptualized after Hideo Kojima <laughs> got real high with his favorite Western celebrities, watched a bunch of Rick and Morty, and went on hikes. Wow. Definitely, and and yeah, that's that's how, that is how I interpret this game is a completely different way of judging games than most other things I've played before, and it's like it's the result of what happens to someone who's on a very personal quest, but expresses it through big budget, soulless video game product, and and there is so much of Kojima in this game more so than metal gear that that I, I i think it worked by going that hard <laughs> it feels weird for me to say because it is indulgent autorship is 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 a masturbatory exercise that obscures the contributions of other people on the team but I don't know. You might game industry might as well try everything first. And it feels like this is the first time it's tried to be this indulgent about authorship and coming from the guy who made metal gear. That's, that's taken it to a whole new level. You know, we all thought MGS five was such a Hideo Kojima game, right? Little did we know. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, I got a question. Another question yeah. for you. Which game makes you more happy? Oh, shoot. Death Stranding or Metal Gear Solid 5? So, I'll say what I said before. Like, I enjoyed MGS5's combat. The gameplay was good. It was solid. I found myself playing that um, even, like... Uh, on the side, uh, what were those? Those are those side missions you always do to get like money and stuff. 
I enjoyed that. Um, the the optional challenge. Oh, yo, you the base, the base fob thing. missions. Yeah. yeah. And and there were some ones where you uh you could definitely just take everybody's like materials <laughs> because <laughs> they they didn't um do the I guess the work to actually like protect them. So you could just go in there and just take a bunch of materials that you need. Um, yeah, fuck you. I have your gasoline. Yeah, it's, it was it was it was good. It was good, and it will be too late by the time they come back online. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, uh, I didn't like the gameplay too much, and in Death Stranding, I would say like not as much as MGS Five. So in terms of gameplay, MGS Five was a little bit better but mgs 5 story was just so boring it was so boring at times and there wasn't enough weirdness there wasn't enough weirdness as a uh, death stranding um or, yes. or the normal yes. I, I, I stuff which is makes me feel like even though i enjoyed my time with mgs 5 more i would say at least i don't have this feeling of like not being satisfied by the end with uh death stranding yeah, i feel like i'm satisfied yeah. because they, he gave me like 20 endings you know <laughs> like overcompensating Over for the lack of yes. a one last time yeah because i i like endings i like something to feel satisfying i don't like just nothing happening at the end like just like no, i'm not talking about like Which, um um okay uh what's that movie where you could go inside people's dreams um Inception. I'm not talking about the Inception ending. I'm talking more of like where there's no buildup, there's no nothing. It just kind of ends because they it was unfinished or they didn't know what to do. I don't like those types of endings. So you remember the ending in Death Stranding that you were complaining about where Sam is like wandering around on the moon with nothing to do. And there, I don't know if you tried it, but if you press the touchpad and get him to yell, he he breaks the fourth wall and complains about the ending. Yeah. And this is a game all about doing repetitive soulless work for an invisible employer who's barely even there that showers you with endless praise for doing a seemingly normal job. Yeah. And then at one point, you eventually sacrifice yourself to wander around after the action with this very explicitly unsatisfied ending. Eh? Eh? Are you, are you, are you picking up on my, on my Kojima code here? <laughs> about this being a game about what it's like being Kojima? Oh my god. How that part of the game could be read as an expression of how he felt about that game's ending. About how Metal Gear Solid V was an exploration of turning exciting action adventures into something banal that's a job that you check into. A lot of MGS5 happens on spreadsheets of managing your employees like you are their boss. And the most exciting parts of MGS5 are when those spreadsheets end up becoming mechanically active and your your employers start dying from, from language disease. And what am I trying to get to? <laughs> ah, yeah. Death Stranding is also about turning a seemingly fun hike into boring, soulless work for an employer that's never there. You get showered with empty praise after every single one. You know, you're complaining about how everyone says the same thing, which is, oh, Sam, you're so good. I'm a big fan. Yeah. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's an actual expression of what it's like being Kojima.
So he made a terrible game. <laughs> you do a job. You, you, you do it well enough to where you think you got it done. And for some reason, everyone in the world just showers praise upon praise upon you. I mean, that. And eventually you make one delivery where it ultimately ends up more of a self-sacrifice with you trapped on the moon, unable to finish what you're starting. And then all of a sudden your famous Western celebrities pull you out of, of the afterlife back into the real world again and, and save the day. Yeah. So that's why I kind of like Death Stranding. I think, I think just by you doing that, you're actually adding to it. You're, you're, actually, you're actually confirming that people just I'm look so that. deep into his stuff when it's probably just poop. It's just, it's just him pooping and you watch well, it. Well, if that's the case, you're paying $60 then, to watch him poop. Then, then, then I'm an alchemist who can turn poop into oh, gold. Hey. Hey. I mean, maybe more literally than one because we'll see how much money this YouTube video on it makes. So yeah, I, I Death Stranding makes me happier than MGSV. The story is definitely stupider, but it's also more eventful and more meaningful and more interesting. I did like the like really good stealth missions of MGS5 better in terms of gameplay, but Death Stranding I feel has a better spread. Like I, I really liked maybe three to five missions of MGS5, especially with the optional uh, OCP challenges turned on. Yeah. Um, OSP, but here I've, I haven't had any moments in the game like those missions where I'm just like, oh yeah, this is the best stealth game ever. But I'm also having fun moments where I'm like, oh yeah, this is a pretty good example of what it would be like exploring a walking game. And, and I don't have a frame of reference to compare that to. I want to say two things before I forget. One is there was this part where, you know, those parts where they don't tell you where to go. I thought those were what? pretty good. You know, they don't tell you where to Wait, go. What do you mean? They, they give you like a hint, and that's pretty much it. Wait, what do you uh, mean? There was, uh, for instance, one of my favorites were oh. when you're trying to cross the like tar pit or whatever it is. Yeah. And they don't tell yeah. you anything, but you remember being dragged through the tar. I I have some very bad news. Oh, you didn't like it? No, they eventually tell you if you take too long. Oh. Yeah, because I was running away from the BT to heal myself and prepare. And the whole while I was getting radio messages saying like, Sam, isn't there some way you can pull buildings or something from the past out here? And I'm just what? like, OK, yeah, dad, I get it. No, he, he told he me like three that? times before pull I went buildings and do that. from the I past. Who says that? It's not even that hard to figure out. That That's how they work. BTs break the space-time continuum. Those buildings are from before the yeah, apocalypse. Yeah, but why would that's he say Is there any from. way you can pull buildings? Like, does Sam have powers like that? Oh, my God. I don't know if that's exactly what he says, but it was something like that. It was it was days when I played that oh section. Oh, my God. But if he said that, that would be ridiculous. That would be like... I, would, I'm sure he didn't say exactly that, sure but I'm did. sure whatever he ridiculous. said was as ridiculous. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> Just spell it out. Were, were there Just a lot spell of it out for everyone to know. Okay, never oh mind. Oh my god, absolutely. Well, then I'll say it's, his obsession with Amelie was freaking annoying. It, like, why? Why did he love a her? A freaking annoying obsession, you say? Almost like, uh, what, what? What's another synonym for obsession? <laughs> Fuck me. I, I, I just dropped the ball on trying to, to think like Kojima. 
An obsession, you say. An unhealthy one. Almost like a compulsion, if you will. Hmm. Oh my <clears throat> this person's uh, uh, <laughs> potentially dangerous fascination with this topic might cause them to become a bit crazed by it. Yeah, it's just the same thing, because it's not written in English first. Well, it technically is, but it's not written from an English-speaking guy first. So the language, this is something that we've had to learn going from Metal Gear Solid 1 to the future ones, is that whoever translates Kojima's English, who's not Blostein, is going to do a worse job of it, and that explains why a lot of the stuff sounds as stupid as it does. Because mm. he needs a co-writer and a localizer yeah. and does not give them a lot of... A lot of freedom to shorten his long ass translations. I'm not the only one that was weirded out when Fragile's like, You love her. Why? <laughs> Why do I love her? I don't, actually. She's just some white girl in the red dress. Wait, yeah, I don't remember there being a lot of chemistry or there romance between isn't. like she seemed more like a a, a Meryl I, than an I, Eva. Like she I was just a was friend along for the ride, I thought. I thought Emily was his sister and BB was his brother. I thought, I, thought I, th I was like, why Why are you loving her? Why are you so obsessed with her? Why do you want to be close to her? It's just your sister. I mean, I get it, but like, that's a little weird. It's a little weird, man. If if they used the word Onisan, would it make more sense? <laughs> <laughs> Onisan.